Merkel Media. I guess it's time to go back in time. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? Time is but a stubborn illusion. I have a lot of memories of the past. People are time traveling within themselves. Time travel is possible. Welcome to Reloaded Mondays, everybody. We got episode 58 coming back at you, The Unwelcomed Roommate, where we interviewed Dale. And the interesting thing about this, I always thought it was interesting, is we actually caught an EVP that I definitely think was an EVP on this show. Uh, we got disconnected. And when we reconnected, we got an EVP. We got, we got, we got an EVP on the line. And the interesting thing about this was I wasn't the only one that heard it. We heard it in person live. When it happened, we heard it. You hear me stop. The thing is, this was back when I had Patreon. I didn't have memberships on my website. It was Patreon. And one of the deals for Patreon was people got to watch me do interviews live. So the interviews that were on the show, the patrons were able to watch me do the interviews on video live. And so they actually heard it as well. So we got their opinion as to what they think they heard and things like that. But I thought it was an interesting thing because we actually caught something live in the moment that we all heard. It wasn't like we listened back later and we're like, oh, what was that? It was all live. We caught it in the moment. We heard it in the moment. And you're going to hear it right now. Okay, I'll reload it. Till it's bright out Oh, just another lonely night Are you willing to sacrifice your life? Ah! They're staying in the shadows It's called probing Make sure things are all clear for the rest of the world. You guys hear that? He's out there. Welcome to the show, everybody. You are listening to The Confessionals, a proud feature show on blogtalkradio.com. I am your host, Tony Merkel. Thank you for being with us. If you had an encounter that you'd like to share on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. That's theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the connection section and you can reach me that way as well. Now, on this week's show, we have an interesting paradigm that we're dealing with. I did this interview just earlier this week. And what I do with my patrons is they actually get to watch me do the interviews live. So they get to sit in and have the firsthand look at the interview process. And while they're sitting there listening, we were talking to Dale, who said that he saw a demon. And as he was describing what he saw, the call dropped. And when we reconnected, something happened. And I bring on some of the patrons that were actually there and witnessed it to talk about it on a roundtable discussion before we get into the actual interview where it happened. So sit back, relax. I hope you enjoy this week's show. We'll be right back after this. 
All right, so tonight, before we get into the actual episode, we have a little bit of a roundtable here because uh, some things have come forward over this past week uh, during an interview here. So I have some of my patrons here who are actually listening to an interview I was doing live, and something happened during the interview that we found pretty interesting and we thought we should talk about before we actually air the interview. And so I have Norm on, I have David on, and I have Alex on to talk about what we heard during the interview. So let me paint this picture for everybody. Uh, I'm doing an interview on Monday night, and you guys are about to hear that interview right after this roundtable discussion. And the guest came on and he started detailing some things that he saw and experienced, demonic activity. And uh, he started detailing something that he saw, an entity that he saw. And when he started detailing that entity, the call dropped. And that's a, that, that, to be honest with you, I've heard people say that Skype is bad. And I use Skype for my interviews. I call everybody through Skype because I can call your cell phone. I can call whatever, in country, out of country. And people say Skype's bad, blah, blah, blah. I've never experienced bad Skype calls. I've had like one drop, and I think it was because I kicked the power button on my computer, you know, <laughs> the, the strip cord. So, uh, you know, I never had that problem. And you guys can attest to this, that when we were doing the interview, he had clear audio. It wasn't like he was cutting in and out with a bad reception, but the call dropped. I didn't think anything of it. And so we connected again. And you guys are watching this live. So one of the things that I offer patrons is an opportunity to watch me do interviews live over Facebook uh, through our Facebook secret Facebook group. So you guys are sitting there. You're seeing all this. You saw me reconnect. And then within the first 10 seconds of us reconnecting and talking about where we left off at, we hear a whisper come through the line, right? Yeah. 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 So you guys... When we heard that whisper come through, I looked at the camera and I, I muted my microphone. So the guest, he, he's talking and I said, did you guys hear that? And you guys all started commenting. Yeah, we heard that. We heard that. What was that? And so I told you guys that to stick around after we were done with the interview because we were going to analyze the audio. And uh, you guys did. And I was really grateful for that. And we checked out this audio. And now let me tell you, I had an idea of what I thought I heard. But I didn't want to tell you guys what I thought I heard until you told me what you thought you heard. And, and so we went back through the audio and stuff. And uh, that's where we're going to kind of bring you guys in and stuff to kind of talk about what you experienced. And so um, before this interview happened and stuff, uh, I don't do this all the time. But this guy, he was a Christian and I'm a Christian. And he described what we were going to be talking about. And I thought it might be a good idea that we pray. And I just had this feeling inside that we were going to have a heavy interview. And so I'm going to, on my screen, it's from right to left. So Norm, I'm going to start with you. Uh, let me ask you this question. And then it's the same question. We'll go to you other two guys. Uh, did you feel like before the call dropped, did you feel any heaviness with his interview? Did you feel like there was like a certain weight that this, this interview was carrying? Yeah, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I felt something, you know, I mean, it just felt like something was off, you know, like something, something was off. Yeah. That's the perception I got. Yeah. That, that's how I was, I was vibing inside as well. Uh, David, how'd you feel during this interview? Uh, it was very, very intense. Probably the most intense interview I've ever heard you do. And um, I was just glad I wasn't him. 
Yeah, you're telling me. Alex, what about you, man? How were you feeling during this interview? Now, I know you, uh, you're, you're a rational kind of guy. I've seen you commenting online and stuff, and, and you think very logically about things. Uh, how'd you feel about this interview while I was doing it? Um, it felt heavy, really heavy. It was one of those things where, I don't know, there was a lot of alarm bells going off in my head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was interesting from the least man of it. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I, I thought it was very interesting. And uh, the more we got into the interview, the more I just started feeling, for me, I started feeling like this weight. Uh, that's the only way I could describe it. In fact, I described it to you guys as heavy. Uh, I, I felt like it was just a heavy interview. And so this call drops and we reconnect and we hear the whisper come through the line. And I honestly thought it was him at first. Uh, did you guys think that it was him? David, did you think that this was him whispering or did you think it was something paranormal right away? No, I thought it was him. Definitely thought it was him. Um, you know, you just, you don't really think paranormal right off the bat. But uh, I thought, yeah, I definitely thought it was him. Yeah, and like, I thought it was him too. Now, Norm, when you were listening to this interview, the first take, not when we yeah. were going back over it, but the first take, did you have a comprehension of what you thought you heard or did you just hear a whisper? I, yeah, I just heard something, but I just thought maybe it was him beginning to talk, you know, over you and he stopped or something, but I, I didn't quite make it out until, and pick up on it until you say, wait, did you just hear that? You turned to us and said, did you just hear that? And yeah, I did hear something, but I just figured maybe he, he had begun to talk or something like that, you know? Yeah. And, you know, a while back, I did an interview with some people uh, it was actually a two-part interview called Orbduction. I've get, I still get people emailing me about that that interview. Uh, it was with Alta and Chad, and they t they sent me some video of them doing an interview with another guy. Uh, it was a YouTube channel, and it was on his YouTube channel. And at some point during their interview, something came through the line. You saw the guy doing the interview react. He was like, yeah. what the heck was that? And he started looking around like there was a malfunction or something. And uh, they sent it to me because they thought it was interesting and stuff. And that's what it reminded me of. That's what it reminded me of. It made, made me feel like that whole situation and stuff. Uh, Alex, when you heard that, did you think that you could make out what you were hearing or was it just like a straight up whisper for you until we started actually analyzing it after the interview? It sounded like a whisper, but some reason it didn't sound, it didn't sound like it belonged. Like something was off about where it was. Yeah. And th that's what I thought too. I thought because you're exactly right. It sounded like there was something off. Uh, I, I thought it was him but it just didn't seem like it was him, you know? And I just wrote it exactly. off that I just wrote it off that it was him until we analyzed things. And uh, we'll, let's go into that right now, actually. Uh, we end the interview and we go back through the audio and we play over it. And I want to get you guys' opinion on what you think you heard. And then we'll actually play the audio of what happened before we get into the interview. So we're going to let the audience hear what they're looking for during the interview. Uh, so Norm, with us going back over the audio, 
Yeah. What did you think? What what kind of conclusion did you come to as to what you thought you were hearing whispered? I listened. I listened to it over a few times. What I got was it sounded like it said "Get out, Tony," and, the, and two times. Then it sounded like mm-hmm. I moved Tori or something. But my initial thing was it sounded like Tony. Get out, Tony. That's what I was. I was picking up. Yeah. Uh, David, what did you, what did you think about it? what did you think you heard? Well, I got some bad news for you, Tony. <laughs> uh, I heard, I heard choke Tony. You heard choke Tony. Okay. Uh, that's, that's, that's actually new. And I don't think you said that the other night. Thanks a lot. Nor- uh, thanks a lot, David. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, what about you? what do you think you heard? I, I thought I heard Tony some along, along the same line. But that was only the first time that you didn't, that you listened to it. Because right after that, I went to bed, and you guys listened to it more after when when I left. So yeah, and we played with it for quite some time uh, afterwards because I was really trying to dig at it. Now, when I first heard it, I thought I heard my name live, and that's mm-hmm. why I was like. Did you guys hear that? You know, I thought maybe he was saying something to me. That's why you hear me ask, what what'd you say? Because I, I, I didn't know what to make of it. And then when we went over it, I thought I started hearing my name as well. I started thinking I heard, you know, get Tony or get out Tony. I didn't hear choke Tony, David. Thanks a lot. But so why don't we play the audio for the audience now? Because... Uh, I have some different opinions now that I've amplified the audio and edited it a little bit. So we're going to play the audio right now for the audience to listen to uh, and let them start feeling what they're going to be listening to. Hey, Tony. I'm sorry. I, I had you on. Hey, Tony. Hey. Uh, you, you were talking about, uh, you, you God, described sorry. the abs. What was that? No, I'm sorry, buddy. I didn't know I lost you. That's all right. That's all right. No, you, 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 you had just lost me where like you were describing the abs. Hey, Tony. I'm sorry. I, I had you on. Hey, Tony. Hey, uh, you, you were talking about, uh, you, you God, described sorry. the abs. What was that? No, I'm sorry, buddy. I didn't know I lost you. That's all right. That's all right. No, you, 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 you had just lost me where like you were describing the abs. All right, so you guys heard that audio, and uh, I want to tell you, when I first heard it, we were discussing about it, and I thought it said, get Tony, or get out Tony. And you guys saw me, uh, you were watching me while we were going over this audio, uh, I was getting pretty pissed off. <laughs> I was getting pretty angry about it, because um, I, I, I look at it as the audacity you know like (laughs) that's the way i look at these things i'm like uh the audacity of this and um i went to after we ended the interview and we talked to you guys uh i think it was what i mean it was late it it was probably close to midnight at least 
uh, and I went into, I, I closed down in here. I went into the bathroom. I took a shower and uh, I, I went to bed and I woke up at like, I think it was like four or five o'clock in the morning. I came back in here and I started chopping up the audio and I found that spot. And so I isolated it and I played with the audio, amplified the, the vocals. And the more I listened to it, the more I thought I heard get out Tory or get Tory. Now that could be easily thrown either way of Tory or Tony. Uh, I, I don't know how else to make it other than to me, it says Tory. Uh, maybe it's my ears saying you don't want to hear Tony, uh, but after you guys, cause I know I sent you, uh, I, I think I sent all you guys the amplified audio. Um, what did you mean it? Oh, Alex, you didn't get it. I'm sorry, man. Uh, no, I'll, I'll, okay. I'll send it to you after this and stuff and you can kind of let me know what you think. Um, yeah. but Norm, what do you think? I mean, you heard the, the edited audio on this thing and yeah. do you think it still says Tony? Well, yeah, I listened to it today. It was hooked up into my car so I, I could hear it really good. Uh, it sounded like it was saying Tony, but when it was saying it, it was like struggling to get it out. Like it was kind of choppy. Like if it was a, you know, if it was a spirit or something saying this, it wasn't quite getting it out, but it was like struggling to get it out. That's what I was getting. And I had read the comments where it said Tori and about the third time listening to it over, I could kind of get where you're hearing Tori. But to me, I still go back. It sounds like it's saying Tony, but it's like, it's struggling to get it out. You know, it's like, you know, reaching deep in to spit it out. Like that, that's yeah. what I, yeah. I, and I, I totally, I totally get that. Uh, even though yeah. I don't, I don't want to acknowledge what you just said. I, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> David, what did you think, man? When you, when you listen to the amplified audio and stuff, what did you think? Did you, did you change your mind at all? Or do you still, still think I'm trying to get choked out here? <laughs> I'm sorry, Tony. I still think you're trying to get choked out. Okay. Well, you know, <laughs> Remind me that next time I want to bring you on to not. <laughs> oh, man. You know, Alex, I'm sorry. I'll send you that audio so you can give me a, a, your hot take on it then at some point. Uh, but we had this experience all together. And that's the unique thing about this is that, you know, you guys are patrons. So you have the opportunity to watch me do interviews live on video. And me doing that, I never expected this to happen live while I was recording with you guys. And, but to be honest with you, I'm really glad it happened with you guys because I had witnesses, you know, because even though I have the show and I hope that everybody who listens to this show understands that, you know, I, I, I'm not going to go lying about something. Like I've never seen a Bigfoot, even though I'm fascinated by it, I've never seen one and I'm never going to lie about seeing one. If I, if I come out and say I saw one, it's because, you know, legit, I saw one. However, that said, when it comes to this kind of stuff, for it to happen to me alone, I would have felt like people were going to always be like, oh, he just planned that audio. He's trying to make his show more entertaining or something like that. And so I was just, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, I was really happy to know that I had witnesses to this, you know, when it happened. Uh, now, I think it was David. David, you told me that you never had a paranormal experience before that, right? Nothing definitive like that, no. Okay. I mean, I've I've had some stuff that could have been, but nothing that was like, okay, yeah, 
this is a paranormal experience. And um, I really didn't even know it for sure until, you know, you you got the email back from the guest. And it was it was a Dale, I think. But uh, so, yeah, my first paranormal experience was on the Confessionals podcast. <laughs> Welcome to the paranormal community, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah, well, since you mentioned his email, David, I think it'd probably be pertinent that I actually read what he said. And I'm glad you brought it up because that's an important detail that I totally forgot to bring up. Uh, so what happened is I isolated the audio. I gave him a, like 10 seconds of what was taking place. And then I actually isolated the actual vocalization. So it's two separate files. And I sent him over to the guest. And I was expecting... Because I said to him, let me read you my email that I said to him. I said, hey, Dale, I recorded something when we first reconnected after the dropped call last night. It's within the first 10 seconds. Did you happen to whisper or say something to someone? It sounds like something saying, get out, Tori, or get out, Tony, or get Tony. Does any of this ring a bell? Please get back to me ASAP. And so I didn't expect to get an email back from him very fast. Within... I'd say an hour or two, he sends me an email me back and he said, dear Lord, no, I never said that. It even sounds Mexican. This is the first I've ever heard it. It's creepy. Thank God for our prayer, hedging the evil. Good catch. I don't know if it was a good catch, but <laughs> um, so Dale is saying he's never heard that before. So in the moment, he didn't hear it and he didn't say it. Huh. And so that's, confirmation that this was something other you know and uh i don't know what to make it of it still i mean i'm I'm really actually interested to see what other people say because i'm sure i'll get a lot of emails after this show uh telling me what everybody else thinks you know and i'm, I'm interested in that i'm interested to hear what people think uh but heading on out of here bottom line is this we were doing an interview with a guy who was describing looking at a demon he he that's what he was describing what he saw visually as he was describing a demon the phone call dropped at that point when we pick up within the first 10 seconds we get that audio we analyze it we all have our opinions on what it says i emailed the guy the next day he says he never said anything and he never heard it and so i think we can probably officially say for what 95 percent sure the confessionals had its first paranormal moment on the show. <laughs> uh, is that what you guys think too? Yeah. Oh yeah. All right, guys. Well, listen, I really appreciate you coming on and just kind of sharing your side of things as patrons. I really, you know, I tell you guys all the time. I love you guys. I'm glad you guys are supporting the show. Uh, it means a ton to me. And I, I don't think I would have rather had anybody else to share this experience with, with other than you guys. So I just really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, stay tuned. We might find out more details later. All right. Thanks, Tom. Awesome. Great. Yeah. Thank you, Tony. All right, fellas. I'll talk to you guys later. All right. That was a round table discussion. And I'd like to say thanks to Norm, Alex, and David for coming on and sharing what they thought about what happened on Monday night. Coming up next, we have the actual interview that we were discussing, and when the point comes that the call drops, I'm going to come in and let you know that that's where the call drops, so you can be listening for the next 10 seconds after that, because that's when you hear the vocalization. I hope you guys enjoy the show. 
Okay, tonight we have Dale coming on, and Dale, you emailed me. Oh man, you actually emailed me a week after my son was born. It's been a while since uh, you actually first emailed me, but you have some different topics you'd like to talk about tonight. So, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good, Tony. How are you, man? I'm doing Obviously good. Busy. Yeah, of course busy, but my busy is, is normal to me now. So it's like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so you told me that you had, uh, you know, you had actually seen a demon twice and we want to kind of intermingle some alien talk and you actually have some Bigfoot activity on the property you live on now. But let's start with the demon experience that you had that which was I think you said about 20 years ago now, what happened? How did this all unfold for you to experience seeing a demon? All right. Well, um, actually this was 19 years and some change and I'm going to just kind of walk it back a little bit and, um, maybe give you a little bit of background as to how I got there because I'm 46 now. Um, and at the time I had just, I, I, I played music, uh, you know, played in bars and stuff up and down the East coast. And at that time, you know, when you're making money, you, you don't work. We would, we play professionally. And then, you know, when you didn't, you'd try to shack up or, you know, you go back to a cubby hole and make some money. So I ended up, uh, one of the, one of the girls, uh, actually she was my girlfriend, but we was dating, but we didn't really mean to get serious. And then I kind of got busted out on a bad gig and ended up pursuing her because I didn't have a place to crash. And so we ended up uh, in South Carolina, um, below Myrtle Beach. Uh, actually, we started up at North Myrtle, and then we just kind of moved around. Um, we was living in hotels, like in the off-season, where we would contact realtors and stay in, like, condos. wasn't very secure. Um, but, you know, you did what you had to do. There was no money whatsoever. It was, it was funny because when you're young and you're living like that, you, you really don't think about it as much as when you – trying to get your priorities straight. And um, so throughout the course of all this, we had went from like above North Myrtle um, to Surfside Beach. And I had, this is kind of weird, Tony, so just hang in there with me. I got a job, um, pretty much unskilled labor. I'm a drummer, so like stupid animal from the Muppets. You, you know, <laughs> we don't get a lot of respect. We pound on drums all day, you know? And um the girl I was with is super sweet. She was younger than me. And she was just really, you know, little uh, caterpillar trying to turn into a butterfly and, you know, get out. Because we come from kind of a podunk town, really small. And, uh, you know, you go to the big beach and stuff. It wasn't like party party. It was just getting out. So we ended, I ended up getting a job um, prepping and sanding wood on a paint crew. I had never did it. And so basically it was grunt work. Um, we was living in a condo at North Myrtle at the time. And um, so I was driving to Surfside and uh, Pauly's Island and all these building all these new, really rich houses. So that was like the closest I got to, you know, feel like you had anything. And, you know, working in these big houses. So I was the grunt. So when I, the, the first day I started, you know, I was basically, if you got to tell me to do it, I'll do it. So that was probably the first mistake. Um, they they took me on. Uh, it was cheap labor, and after about three weeks, I ended up. The drive was it wasn't that long. It's just we didn't even have money to drive, you know, twenty five thirty minutes at the time, back and forth. And um, I ended up 
a, a guy I worked with had told me about like, Hey, there's this house. Um, you can rent a room out and you share utilities like your kitchen and your bathroom. And I, all right. I was all into it. Like, sure. This is great. Uh, it was fairly cheap. I think it was like a you know, hundred, 110 a week. Uh, didn't make much more than that. Well, ended up, uh, a girl I dated name was Mitzi and, you know, I told her about this and, and I, when I got done with my band stuff, I felt like I wanted to be the man in the relationship and I wanted to try to provide. And she really didn't want to go down there. This house, after we went and looked at it, it was, it looked like a really bad version of the Brady Bunch house. Oh, man. Um, it was, yeah, it was worn out, man. It had shag carpet. It was extremely dark. Um, on the front of the house, it had a converted garage with a pitcher window, like to make a living room. So we ended up, we moved in. This house was a complete dump. We had a tiny little room. We shared a bathroom that was covered in mold. Uh, like I said, shag carpet. It had, uh, in the hallway, it had this old Victorian wallpaper with texture. And I think it's important you know that because, uh, you know, it had like the floor de lis and all that you know, kinds of designs on it, but it was textured so you could feel it, but with it, it absorbed light. And that's very important. Even when we went in, um, Missy, uh, when she saw the house, she's like, no way. I'm like, this is all we can do right now. And, um, you know, she was a young, pretty girl, uh, probably looked like she shouldn't be living in a place like that. So after a while, we start working with, uh, you know, working with these guys more. They turned into basically companions and friends. We didn't know anyone. And one of the guys on our crew, um, the, the, the company was owned by two brothers. They were all ex-military. Um, they didn't look like it, but they were ex-military. One of the guys, his name was Dan. Um, he was needing a place to stay because he was staying with my boss at a trailer. And so I had mentioned to him because our landlord had told us, you got to find someone else to live here or my mother-in-law will come and occupy the back room. All this is kind of weird, but hang in there with me. When we first went in, the house looks like a complete time bomb. You know, nothing's nothing's current. Even in the big living room, it had the old furniture with the wooden arms, with the deer on the, uh, you know, the cushion covers. It was like straight out of the 70s. But in the back room was this brand new room, freshly painted, new carpet. And our landlord said, whatever you do, I don't want you going back in this room because it's for the mother-in-law when she decides to move in. Well, sure thing. Easy to get along with. I can do that. Well, I ended up talking. I offered the room to Dan. And I said, hey, man, I need to get some help here. So, you know, if you would, would you move in? Just come check it out. And he seemed pretty likable. He was a very quiet guy. He would never give you eye contact which is always kind of weird. I was raised slightly different, you all, you know, but you know, at that time, you know, it was rock and roll and just don't pay attention, whatever, be yourself. And, um, he came to the house and checked it out. And immediately, uh, he was really looking for a, a new gig, a new place to get out. And, and he said he'd take it. And just the thought of not having an old woman living in the back at that age was refreshing. Uh, introduced him to Missy. Uh, she was kind of standoffish and she re really was not like that. But, you know, I thought whatever, she was just being a snooty girl or whatever. And um, so by the end of the week, and I'm kind of jumping around, but hang in with me. Um, it'll all catch up. Yeah, it's fine. He, it was moving day on, on Saturday when he came in and uh, he had borrowed a car. He had brought all of his stuff, which wasn't much. Um, 
And so, like, when he got there, I was just jazzed to have someone, you know, someone else moving in, maybe a new guy friend, because you know, at that age, you hang out with a girl all the time. It's like, how do you do it? You know, it's really different. And we started unloading this car that he had borrowed to bring his stuff. So we was getting bags, you know, all the essential stuff. And um, he had set, he set this cedar box on top of the car that was about a foot and a half long. It, it, it looked like a jewelry box, but it was cedar, you know, old school cedar box. And um, he'd set it on top and I was just trying to be super helpful. So I walked over and I grabbed this box and picked it up. And he's like, no, that's okay, man. I'll get that. And I was stupid and overly helpful. And I was like, no, it's okay, man. I got it. And I started walking with it. And he, he didn't like, he wasn't aggressive, but he just grabbed it and said, no, I'll carry this. And so immediately I kind of, you know, got the stand down and I thought, oh no, what if this is like his parents or something? I didn't know nothing about the guy, you know, or you just, you know, you never know. It was his property. So he took it and I just knew right there, like, all right, that's a definite no-no. So then as we're moving other stuff, he opens the trunk and there is other, lack of a better word, it was an altar. It was a tiny little altar that had like tiny pillars on it. It maybe stood a foot and a half to two foot off the ground. It had pillars in the front and a little, like an ash urn on top. It looked like an incense cup. And then down below that, it was just an open space. It, it kind of like the front of like a building, you know, in a, in a small size, but with a cup on top. And I thought it was extremely odd. And, you know, back at that time, you know, we played, um, I played everything from beach to country, but at that time I was playing a lot of heavy metal and hard rock. And, um, you know, so you see something like that, it's like, Oh, it's cool, dude. And really it wasn't. Um, but I was like, Hey man, what are you going to do? Sacrifices? And he went, um, no, just ceremonies. <laughs> and the matter of factness of the way he said it, I remember it hit me like, you know, Dale, you're a dummy. What are you doing here? You know, because like, everything I'd say was I was getting the wrong answer. So, all right, well, you just go do the uh, ceremonies. And um, after we was moving stuff in, I said, hey, man, about those ceremonies? And he went, yeah. I said, listen, I, I am a Christian. And I said, I'm a Christian, but I'm, I don't judge. So, Whatever you do, I just ask that you do it in your room. Keep it away from me and Missy. Um, and I ain't going to judge you. Be yourself. And he's like, cool, man. Thanks. Wrong thing. I should have never said that. So um, I remember he had ended up leaving. And then Missy was already just angry. She was just looking at me like, all right, this guy's coming in. Shaggy long hair. Bringing in an altar. Something, you know. I, I was like, just give him a chance. Give him a chance. You know, don't judge the book. That's cover. And he uh, took the car back. And then he got a lift over. He did not have a vehicle. I did. So it worked out. I could take us to work and whatnot. And um, he came back and um, we had talked about, you know, he was checking out the house. He was like, man, it's this cool house. I was like, well, it's kind of a dump. It was really dark. That wallpaper in the hallway made everything extremely dark. It just sucked in all the light. Um, the kitchen had an island in the middle of the room with with uh, overhead cabinets above it. It was like a real 1970s looking kitchen with the, you know, the aisle on top and everything. Really horrible, hideous color, shag carpet on the other side of the room. And it, the room itself was dark. And, all right, so we're living in South Carolina, sunny, you know, Surfside Beach. And so all the curtains were extremely thick to not let light in, which I always thought was weird. Like, why do you live at the beach and you don't, you want it so dark? 
So Dan noticed this, and uh, we had a candle burning for, you know, just for smell because the house smelled so like dry air. And uh, he said, cool, you guys burn candles? And I was like, yeah. And he said, man, I got a car that doesn't work, and I have a ton of candles in there. I'll bring them. And I just thought it was the nicest thing. Like, yeah, man, that'd be awesome. And, you know, it's anything to make a friend. And um, so he left after we unloaded the car. And uh, he came back later, and he had a, a giant, like, a quart freezer bag, maybe a little bit bigger, uh, full of candles that were all bent, melted, and twisted. And they were kind of gnarly. And uh, he said, hey, man, here's the candles. And I was like, what's wrong with them? And he said, no, they was just in the back of the car, and the sun kind of melted them. I was like, oh, okay, I get it. It don't matter as long as they burn. And, uh, and I, I, I said, thanks, man. And I handed them uh, – I took the bag and handed it. He had two in his hand, and he handed them to Missy. And when he handed them to Missy, she had this, she had a reaction. Uh, she had a reaction of disgust. At that time, I took it as, oh, boy, somebody's being a big girl, and she's being a big snoot. And, you know, since she was a pretty girl, sometimes pretty girls maybe, you know, they just act like I don't have to talk to you. But she was never like that. And, um she completely, you know, exhibited that behavior. And I, after he handed it to her, he kind of was smiling and she gave him this glare. And I remember he just turned his eyes down and walked off. And immediately I said, can I talk to you? And we went back in our tiny little bedroom. And, um, and I told her, I said, what's wrong with you? And she said, nothing. I don't want his candles. And I was like, well, listen, you need to be thankful because we don't have nothing. This guy's just trying to be nice. Just relax a little bit. And um, she said, fine, but I don't like his candles. And I thought it was extremely strange. He had a uh, Boston Terrier named BJ. Cutest dog in the world, black and white. Really wonderful little pup. And uh, I'd never had a dog as a kid. I was just dying to have this pup to play with, right? So Dan, BJ, Dale, and Missy lived in this tiny little ugly drab house. So um, every pretty much after I got them to, you know, Missy kind of settled down, uh, the work week started. You know, after a day, and it was just kind of getting stuff set up. And we worked, you know, weekly in the day. And um, since I was the scrub guy to move forward, um, this will kind of make sense. When we'd go to work, it was my job to find electricity, plug in the, the music, you know, the jam box, uh, crank up some tunes so we could get work in. Pretty easy. He was, you know, he was more of the – I was the grunt, and he was the guy that came and made everything look pretty. You know, I just filled in everything and was back on all that and sanded stuff. So we would all be in different rooms throughout the day. And, you know, I'd be down scrubbing baseboards and everything. And when you're at the beach, these houses we was building, they was, they was built already like a, a floor 10 foot off the ground because of flood zones. And then they'd be two or three stories high in this, you know, it's really rich development at Polly's Island, South Carolina. And um, I'm a top heavy guy. I got like a Hasselhoff body, a skinny, skinny legs. So I don't, I don't really have a good center of gravity. And a lot of times we had to be on these roofs and I was always kind of spooked by it. Cause if you're, if you're tinier, you know, your center of gravity is better. So Dan was smaller than me. And I, I remember it was always weird cause I'd be down like, you know, the windows would be open. You could see the ocean from where we're working. Uh, you know, we didn't have the money, but you didn't need stuff to be happy. And, uh, Every now and then, Dan would just come walking up the side on the outside of the roof and just plop through. And he liked kind of scaring me like that because I was, I was like, dude, you're going to fall off. And he was way, 
way too into, uh, he liked to shock him, you know, maybe it was our way of bonding or something. So the first day I remember he got me like two or three times. I think he saw it bothered me and he liked, he liked the fear. He liked seeing that little, you know, it was, I thought it was playful. Hindsight could be something totally different, but he would just start popping in and out. And if he would have slipped six inches, he'd have fell to his death or at least really mangled himself up. So, you know, after a couple of days of that work and we started getting used to each other and I could always count on Dan popping in a window and trying to scare me. And, you know, I got used to it. Like, ah, you didn't get me this time. So we pretty much kind of settled in living together and uh, working together. And then, um, you know, Missy, she was trying to get a job uh, working like at, at bread, um, like steakhouses, selling, you know, salad bars and whatnot. So like we'd see each other in the evening. It was a simple life. We had absolutely no money, completely broke. So we would play rummy. This is ridiculous, Tony. We would play rummy to like 5,000, 8,000. It would take hours and we had no money and nothing but time to kill. So we'd just play these tremendous games of rummy to kill time. And um, I remember after the first week, we was in this, uh, in that hideous shag carpet dining room, really dark, candles lit and playing rummy, and we would just keep going and going for hours. And we was playing, and all of a sudden, this was the first time something strange happened. And the, if you look down the hallway, when you walk in the house, you have a back door entrance. You have the uh, refinished garage with a plate glass window. Then you walk into this tiny little kitchen area with an island. On the other side of the island is where we play rummy in the dining room. And then you keep following through the kitchen and there's a long narrow hallway where it was really dark with that wallpaper I was telling you about. And there was uh, one, two, three, four rooms and a bathroom. Um, so at the end of that hallway to the left is where the forbidden room was. And um, I mean, we was playing Romeo and all of a sudden it sounded like the wall fell in. It sounded like the complete wall fell in. It, was, it sounded like something had crashed into the back of the house really loud, boom. And, you know, we're sitting here silently playing Romeo, and all of a sudden we all just jerked our head, our attention went straight down the hall. I got up and ran down the hallway and looked, and there was not one thing out of place. There wasn't a single door open. Uh, I had looked in that room. I didn't really go snooping around, but I had looked, and it was just uh, a lot of old furniture with, you know, plastic over it, keeping dust off, and nothing looked out of place. And um, I came back, and you know, Dan was looking, he's like, what was it? And I was like, it looks like nothing. And what's weird is when down at the beach, a lot of times you will hear uh, like Air Force break in the sound barrier. So you get these loud booms in the air. And I remember honestly thinking like, well, maybe they broke the sound barrier. It wouldn't be nothing to hear, you know, here and there. But I remember Dan's demeanor was a bit different. When he heard it, he just kind of looked and was like, eh, I didn't see nothing. Okay. You know, if we, if we've grown men, you know, like we are now, we'd have definitely investigated. Um, we kind of just blew it off. Okay. Whatever. Can't explain everything. Got back to running. Um, and then, uh, so we'll jump around a little bit and just try to try to walk you in here on the way stuff happened. Um, Missy, I remember she was really bugged by the noise and the way things, but everything bugged her. And that was what was weird. When, when we, when it was just her and I, it was just fun. It was just youthful puppy love fun, you know? 
And then the minute that we got to that house and he came in with those candles, everything in her demeanor started changing. She started just being more irritable. She wasn't very pleasant to be around. And um, I don't know. So things changed. I thought we was in the middle of some type of relationship slumped. You know, I was always just like, hey, you just need to be nicer. Remember, we don't have nothing. Just be nice, blah, blah, blah. Whatever. She tolerated me. So um, ended up. Uh, she finally started getting kind of a regular job in the evenings. And so she would get in, at, you know, odd times in the evening. Me and Dan would just come back home and we'd play Romy or mess around, watch TV in that big uh, converted garage. And um, so a couple of days went on, you know, everything was kind of settled out normal. And it got to where we had a pretty good friendship. And, you know, if I was just getting bored, I'd go back and see what Dan's doing. And my mind, this guy's got an altar in his room, which to me is totally strange. And um, I remember walking down the hallway one day, just to, just out of boredom, like, hey, Dan, what's going on? And he was sitting on his bed, and he had a dagger in his hand. And he had this real goofy look in his eyes. And he just looked up, and he said, oh, I'm just cleaning my knife. And I was like, that's not a knife, it's a dagger. He went, yeah, a dagger. And he's like, you want to check it out? And I said, well, I'll look at it. Uh, you know, I didn't want to touch because I knew there was something wrong. It did not, it didn't gel with the way I was raised and what I'm supposed to put myself around, you know, but being young and dumb, I think I know everything. So yeah, it's okay to hang out. He had, it had like a green ivory looking, or maybe it was like a green marble and it was all like carved out. Like you'd buy it at some cheap, uh, I don't know, maybe like you went to Acapulco or somewhere, something you'd see in a store, but it was weird because he was cleaning the handle with paint thinner to get it to shine. And I, I was like, man, what are you going to do with that? Sacrifice something? And he just looked at me and went, oh, maybe. And I was like, ah, whatever, you know. But I remember it didn't quite set with i would never had a friend just sitting around cleaning daggers. I was raised with a, a gun in the back of the truck, learned to hunt at a young age. There was nothing to be around, you know, proper gun etiquette or having a knife on my hip when I was a kid. Have a dude just having a, a dagger with a altar, and he at that time I remember he did have incense cones in there as well because he showed. I made a comment like, "Hey, you, you doing any, uh, you know, doing anything with your altar in here?" And he's like, "Well, not really, but I did get some stuff." And he had these little cones. All right, whatever, dude. You know, kind of blew it off. But I just remember after that, I remember when I turned around and walked off. It was like, "All right, this is officially getting strange," you know? Yeah. Um, and that evening, like when Missy came in. Uh, you know, she'd asked what was up. And I said, you know what? I just want to tell you, uh, I explained the story about the dagger. And um, and she said, I knew it. I knew something was going on. I was like, well, why? And she said, well, when he handed me those candles, I had a shock of electricity go through my body. I said, well, Missy, anytime you rub your feet on the shag carpet, you're liable to shock anything. I always had a logical thing. She said, no, it was different. Something didn't feel right. And I, I didn't like it. So... I, I took it all into account and told her, well, just hang in there. You know, nothing's wrong. If anything happens, I'm here, so don't worry. Well, it would get to be where at nighttime, uh, and once Dan got used to the neighborhood, we lived maybe eight or nine blocks, uh, walking blocks to the ocean. And Dan always wore a crystal around his neck, which I thought was kind of cool back then. You know, anything hippie or, you know, wearing cool jewelry, you know, you seem like you're individual. And he would take off with BJ's dog, and they would go and just disappear for three or four hours. But it was never a big deal because we lived at the beach, and 
you know, if it took you 20, 25 minutes to walk to the beach, it's no big deal. But he would leave for hours. And I knew he didn't know anyone. And we always thought it was mysterious, but I also thought it was kind of cool because it gave me and her time just to be alone and be kind of normal. I thought he was being a gentleman by giving us that time. And um, so once we kind of settled in, he started doing that. She started telling me more and more, like, I just don't know. Something feels weird. I don't like this house. Uh, I don't like Dan. And I was like, oh, we should just back off of him and give him a chance. But she, everything was negative. All right. So we didn't have any money to really do much. But I was always raised that even if you don't have money, you don't live filthy. So we would honestly go to like dollar store and get cleaning supplies. And that was our weekends, cleaning this nasty house. And uh, it felt like a shopping trip, picking up you know, bleach and stuff. Really weird. But we'd come back, and this bathroom was moldy. And she was always complaining about the bathroom. Like, it's just moldy. It really didn't look like a fitting place for a lady to be, to be honest. If I had a girl now, there's no way to hang out with that type of bathroom, right? So we'd go get cleaning supplies. And then, I'm like, it, it got to be kind of regular. Where on Saturdays, that was our day out. We'd get a bite to eat, go back and clean and stuff. And um, Dan would do whatever Dan did. Sometimes he at the house, sometimes he wasn't. And um, I thought if I started really cleaning this place up, it would alleviate some of the tension between her and I. And um, so I scrubbed this bathroom like crazy. The grout was old and nasty. And uh, nothing would please her. And um, so like there would be times she and I was at the house, and then he wouldn't be or he would be. Um, and I remember it was weird that she started – she started really just being clingy and wanting to be around me way more than I was comfortable with. Cause I kind of liked my space, but I just thought it was growing pains in her a new place. So I tried to appease her. Um, and then it would get like where we would be, we'd still have our nightly, uh, rummy matches. Uh, but I remember there was one Saturday she had to work in the day. Dan had take off walking with uh, BJ. And I was like, well, I'm going to scrub this bathroom out and I started scrubbing. And then after a while I started getting a contact buzz from all the cheap chemicals in there. And, um, I remember that box that he wouldn't let me carry. And plus seeing him with a dagger and an altar, the suspense was killing me. Um, and I, I started hearing like noises in the house. I started hearing like, but I thought it was like a house settling. Like back then you just didn't think as much, you know, you hear an old house rumble. It's just settling. Uh, but I would hear like a, like a, a door slam or something. There's no door slamming. So whatever. I started like, you know, I thought I was just getting contact buzz from breathing in all these fumes. And I remember I came out of this long hallway now, and I got curious. I went and snooped and I broke a bond of trust and I went down and uh, he was, he was so comfortable around us. He would just be the guy that would leave money laying around his wallet, I always respected that, and it made me think more higher, so I never wanted to break that trust with him, and I remember when he showed me the dagger, the whole time I was in his room, like, hit that box was just sitting on top of his, of his uh, chester drawers, and that day, it consumed me. I broke a, a personal bond with him, and I went, and I walked in his bedroom, um, and then I remember when I got in there, and I remember thinking, this is wrong. And there was the cedar box. And with the way Missy had been changing and our attitudes, I decided, uh, whatever, it's my house too. I told her I would be here. I'm going to make sure there's nothing screwy going on. So I opened up this box. Uh, 
totally scared. I, I'm really a pretty good guy. I, I try to respect everyone's face, but like, this just felt wrong, and I did it anyway. And I opened the box, and it had like a this cool, nice, soft lining, like a girl might put jewelry in. And then there was this oily rag, and it was the rag he cleaned the dagger with. I remember specifically pulling this stuff off uh, to make sure that I didn't screw it up when I put it back in there. Um, I moved the rag off, turned it upside down. I pulled out. There was his dagger. I remember I touched it by the edges of the blade so it wouldn't be the fingerprints like these little fingerprints, you know, silly kid. Uh, put that to the side. There was a book on the Wiccan religion. Um, it was, you know, he, I knew he was doing something, but I didn't know what, but he was a Wiccan. And it was, a, it was basically, I guess, like the Wiccan handbook. Uh, immediately I knew like, well, that's kind of weird. And I remember on the back cover, it was like the, it, it was so funny because it was like about the author and it was this middle-aged dude with a kind of like a KKK hat, but it wasn't, it was like a Wiccan high priest thing, but it had like the face cut out. I remember laughing like this guy looks like a nerd because, you know, back then everything was cool and metal, not knowing that this, I really shouldn't be touching this, you know, right under that book was a, Book of the Necronomicon, which is a book on spells. Um, I knew what that was because my father was a Sunday school teacher. And um, as long as I wanted to look at anything, he never cared as far as other religions because he knew where my faith lied. But I remember when I saw the Necronomicon, it really bothered me because I knew that was it's basically an encyclopedia of spells. And then it all kind of dialed in with his altar. I set that down. Then I found there was a little... It was like a felt, a felt type bag, and I didn't open it because it was pulled kind of tight. But it felt like a couple different objects. I thought it was like Dungeons and Dragon dice or something, but I didn't really get into it. By that time, I was starting to get creeped out. And then on the very bottom, there was a jar. It had a rusty lid, and it looked like gray brown. With it looked like dried blood. But I know that's just because I saw the knife. I don't think it really was. But it, it had the, it, you know, when blood dries, it gets dark. And it looked like petroleum jelly that was sickly, gangly, green and brown with like this dark, 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 dried blood stuff. But I don't think it was, but who knows? So I remember when I saw it, I just remember, I remember uttering some words I probably shouldn't. And immediately I knew the cat was out of the bag. I started putting it back frantically quick. I remember I, I, right then I was like, you idiot, you done went, you did it now, you done stuck your nose where it didn't belong, and I was scared. I started putting the stuff back kind of fast, um, tried to cover it up as nice as I could, I shut it, and I took off. I went out the hallway, went down this long hallway, and I just went outside, because for some reason the beach, it always seems like it's pretty, and I just went out, and uh, I really just started trying to reflect on everything, because I, I don't know, I, it, do I got a serial killer in the house or what? Well, no, I had a, I had a dude that was the Wiccan religion, but you never know, you know, I never had a friend show me a dagger and stuff. So, um, I really kept it to myself. I didn't want to bring anything up to Missy or tell her nothing to stress her out more as much as we didn't get along. She was the only thing I had around. So it was kind of like a weird, you know, symbiotic circle kind of thing. Uh, don't want you, but need you thing. Um, love you but hate you kind of thing we was kind of getting there and it it was just strange i kept it to myself he got home later and I, you know he could have walked in at any time and busted at that time i was prepared to say yeah i'm snooping i don't know what's up 
And when I saw whatever was in that jar, I remember freaking out. I, I felt like such a tiny little man. Um, tried to cover it up and just went outside. I smoked cigarettes time. I don't smoke and just tried to relax. And um, I remember Missy came home later from a day shift. And I was real happy to see her because I was so you know, tore up on the inside. And what'd you do today? Well, I cleaned the bathroom. And well, it smells clean at least. And um, I remember later we went and I was like, I just want to talk to you. And I explained to her what I saw. And she was immediately bothered. And she said, I knew, I knew something was wrong. I knew he was into something. I was like, well, he has an altar. I think we knew that. She didn't know what. And I still don't know what's in the jar, so whatever. And I made her promise she wouldn't do what I did. And that was break the rules and go in his room. And um, yeah, she agreed to. And I felt like such a dirtbag just for even betraying. I, I still don't like it. But, you know, it was essential to what happened. So... I kind of talked her down. All right, let's just blow it off and um, let's just get back to normal and clean the house and and uh, get back to normal. So I remember the weekend passed, tried to keep things normal, tried to really pay her attention so we could quit thinking about what could be living down at the end of the hallway. And, um, you know, Monday came and uh, I remember it was just kind of a normal day. Dan... He did his typical, around 10 o'clock, we'd take a break. So normally, he would find me in the house if, if they couldn't yell at me. And you know, because these houses, again, were huge. And if they couldn't immediately catch me, he would always just walk up and try to goose me, so to speak. And all of a sudden, I remember he just popped in through the window, and he had this blank, expressionless, like, no expression on his face. And he just said, it's break time. I was like, cool, man, thanks. And he just, like, he looked like a zombie, and he just kept walking. And in the back of my head, I knew it was like, man, I'm busted. I know he, he knows the gig's up. And um, But then I went down. We all just took a break. You know, we always took 15, 20 minutes. It was like, ah, I think it seems normal. Maybe Dan's just having a bad day. Well, the day went on, nothing big. You know, we could work together. And um, we get home that evening. I remember we was playing another crazy marathon or running. And um, I remember... Dan was really not talking at all. He would never, he had kind of like, I don't, I don't want to say beady ass. I don't want to try to describe him as like a strange looking character. He just would never give you eye contact. He would always just kind of look down. If he laughed, it's kind of like a goofy <laughs> laugh under. Um, and the weird thing is whenever he would look at Missy, then he was, his eyes would kind of like, yeah, I think it was because she was attractive. And I think he was awkward around everyone, especially girls. But he was he was getting kind of comfortable with her. And I remember that evening, he paid her a lot more attention while I played Rummy. And I was just trying to play it off cool. And because um, I really thought I was busted. And uh, but I told him I lied to his face. I was wrong. And uh, we was playing Rummy. Again, we hear another huge crash in the back of that hallway. This time, I didn't get up and run. Dan just looked down the hallway and he turned and just dead stared me. This guy would never give me eye contact. And he just dead stared at me. And uh, as, as odd as it was, we didn't say another word about the sound. I remember Missy went out to smoke. And Dan had asked me, he said, I got to ask you a question. And I was like, yeah, man. He said, was you in my room? Me? Uh, no, I wasn't in your room. And he's like, well... Are you sure you wasn't in a room? I was like, Dan, why would I be in a room? I told you I wouldn't do that. I was, I was trying to hustle cars, man. I was so much a big fat liar. And um, he said, you did, did you get in my box? 
And I was like, no, no, why would I get in your box? I told you I wouldn't do that. I was really trying to BS them and act like the aggressor. Like, no, you're silly. But, man, I was selling a lie. And uh, I remember he looked down at his cars and he just kind of looked back up and said, you sure you wasn't in my box? I said, Dan, I'm not in your box. Why would I do it? I think it's creepy anyway. He kind of looked back down. He knew I was lying. At least I think he knew I was lying. Um, but right, that kind of moves us forward a little bit in this whole story. Um, I really thought I'd sold it to him, or he just didn't care. All right, so uh, let's say the night passes on, and uh, BJ, this dog, which was so awesome, they're really full of energy and bouncy. And whenever we'd wake up in the morning, you know, it's like we hear the alarms go off, or I'd hear Dan get up and be like, oh, it's time to go to work. If my door opened, BJ would always come running in and jump on the bed and start giving us kisses. And they're just really, really high energy, fun dogs. And so every morning I was used to this. And I remember after the day that I looked at that box, it, normally once my door opened, BJ would just sprint through our door. He could not wait to say good morning. After that box, he started slowing down. Which, in hindsight, it, now it, it makes a whole lot more sense. And um, so anyway, I was, I was weird. Like, all right, well, maybe BJ ain't feeling good. Dogs have, you know, they get sick too, whatever. So it got to where life went on as normal. We would just go to work. Um, me and Missy got much more irritable at each other, especially when I opened that box. All of a sudden, it was like, I, th- I thought we were just getting in the rut of living together and getting normal. In reality, we were starting to get distant from each other, and even distant from Dan. He started taking more long walks at night, and you know, if I'd bring it up, Missy would immediately just like, "Well, it's hard to tell what he's doing." She was just really on his case, and um, so I started trying to pick up my game more uh, as far as cooking and and you know, whatever whatever happened happened. I ain't gonna let it happen again. I was wrong, so I started cooking more. Now we was poor; we didn't have uh, you know, a lot of money. We eat a lot of Rice, a lot of eggs, a lot of beans, a lot of ramens. Uh, you know, we just got by. And um, so I started trying to cook more for her to just make everything try to look as good. Uh, you know, be, be a proper boyfriend. And um, I remember there was this night, and Dan was gone. Now, I had been hearing stuff in the house, nothing really that notable, but I would hear. It seemed like when I would walk down the hall, every since I opened that box, it would feel like somebody was right behind me. Um. It was just creepy, and I also kept so much of it to myself, like, you created this. You have this in your head. This isn't really happening. It's you because you're a fink, and you you know, you broke, you broke the rule of respect and went in the guy's room. Um, so, you know, I was always in kind of this battle with myself, and um, I remember I was making us some eggs for dinner one night, and um, I was at the island, and Missy was kind of walking back and forth for once we wasn't fighting all of a sudden. And um, I remember I was standing at that tiny little island. Now, the way this house was, the reason it was dark, and, and I brought that up earlier, is just to kind of try to paint you a picture here. The lights were really old. Everything in that house was old. But, like, the way the island was, the light would like, kind of cast in the kitchen. Then you had cabinets that would block the light. So then below those cabinets, you would see a line in that shaggy room, we call it the Elvis, you know, like Elvis's jungle room. We call it the Elvis room. So it would be like the light would go through and you'd see a certain angle of light in there, which made it even creepier. Uh, and, and there was no overhead light in that room. So it was always this, this shadow casting light. And so I'm sitting there cooking us eggs 
And so while I'm cooking eggs, you could kind of see half of the carpet in the room. And then like where the light went over the island, it was just dark. And uh, I remember she was just kind of walking around talking, you know, and I was just like trying, you know, Mr. Five Star Chef making eggs for dinner. And um, I remember all of a sudden I saw something on the other side of the island. It looked like a shadow had moved. And, I, but, you know, I was like, oh, whatever, this house is old. I, again, I'm trying to beat the stuff out of my head that it didn't really happen. Flipped the eggs, and then I noticed a shadow had moved again, but it had came closer to the edge of the island. And I thought, all right, this is just an anomaly with the light. This is just light tricking uh, shadows. You know, if you walk around at night, shadows, will, you'll think you'll see somebody at the door and nobody there. I thought it was one of them kind of things. And, um, but at the same time, I also knew I'm living in a house with a dude with an altar and all this creepy stuff happened. So I kind of got used to anything abnormal is kind of normal. And I remember while I was sitting here trying to play it off, like I didn't see nothing. I saw on the edge of the other side of the island, I saw what looked, it looked like the top of a shed. It looked like the top of a head, but it was black. And it was like, it was almost like a little kid would come up and start, you know, peek their eyes up over a table at you if they're too, you know, tiny to get over. But it had, all I could really see was to the top. It looked like the dome of a head. And, and it was kind of coming up. I was just like, acting like I didn't see it, but I was seeing it. And then like, it came up to where you could see like the, the brow. Okay. But this thing was completely black. It was like a shadow, but it had structure, but it was completely black. And right when it started coming up, and it looked like where you could see like the top of, of your eye sockets, right there, I remember it was like, like this is creepy. And um, I'm the kind of guy, like, if, if, if you come up and try to scare me, I usually swing. Or if, if I get scared, I'm immediately the first guy to run into the fire instead of away from it because I'm an idiot, I guess. So it's just, it's must, it's, that's it's what you do. And I remember seeing it and then having this whole wanting to do better. I was like, that's a hit. And I saw it coming up, but I played it off. And then right when it got up to the eyes, and mind you, the island, what, maybe been four, four and a half feet off the ground. Uh, it was waist high at me. I'm 6'3", and it was about waist high. Um, so that's about how big this thing was. So as soon as it popped up, all this happened quicker than I just now said all that. I'm sorry, Tony, but as soon as it came up, I like let go of the skillet and I ran around real quick and tried to grab at this thing. And when I did, I could not see any structure of this thing. All I saw was the, the back top of the head and it ran. It, I, can't, I didn't see legs. I didn't see it run. I just saw that top of that thing move what I assume was moving and it ran into the corner of the wall and it was a shadow and when it ran into the shadow where I couldn't see it that from the light cast on the other side I reached my hand in and there was nothing there and Missy was like what are you doing and I was like I just saw something and she's like you're crazy it's like no I just saw something and she's like there's nothing there I'm like I know but I just saw something so you know that started some really weird relationship stuff from her and I. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, you're being really nice to me, and now you're chasing something imaginary. I, and so I remember, like, well, maybe it wasn't nothing, but it looked like it. And I kind of tried to play it off, whatever. Um, 
but it was strange. I knew right there, I knew like there's something going on in this house that was not normal. We didn't have money to drink or nothing, you know, it, it wasn't no party time. We, we were so sober. It was ridiculous. Um, and, and this stuff's happening. So it, I wish I could say, no, it was just messed up or something, but it wasn't the case. So anyway, um, we kind of move on with normal life. Okay. You just saw something, whatever, let's eat. It, it was really kind of simple the way we would just disregard things that we would hear and see in that house. Um, so like, let's move on a, maybe a couple more days. And like, this is where it gets like, there's instances that happened. And, um, and this, I remember him in order. So I don't know how many days passed in between, but I remember like later, Dan would come back. He would always take walks. I remember I asked him one time, where do you always go? Like, uh, just me and BJ walk and they'd take these, we'd like have to work the next day. And he'd come back like around midnight and just walk. And I'm like, why would you want to walk when you got to work, you know, and, and you're walking for hours. So it was always a mystery. Um, so that was the week after I saw that head. I remember I played it off. I was trying to regain trust with Dan because he thought I went in the room and I did. I was trying to make him think I wasn't a big fat liar. And, um, I remember it was maybe a couple of days later that I saw that head and um, we got up in the morning. I, I want you to kind of visualize this. These rooms were really tiny. The doors were very narrow. Uh, you know, it was packed for like a Brady Bunch kind of house, really small, long, narrow, extremely dark hallway. When you would open the door in a bedroom, the light would cast out from behind and you would just see the square on the opposite side of the hallway. This hallway was so dark, and I remember because I think that's one thing like Missy didn't like. I would walk out, and you could really, if all the lights were off in the house and just like the bedroom light was on behind us, and I proved this to her. Um, I was trying to scare her one night because you could walk out and stick your arm out, and by the time you got to the end of your hand, you couldn't see your hand. And I remember just creeping out, like you know, like uh, you know Freddy Krueger and stuff back then. I remember just like getting on, like you don't know what's out there, and I'll stop it and. But it, it was honestly that dark. And so like whenever you, like in the morning time, it would be light enough that you could see. But at night, I mean, it was just so pitch black. So all right, I'm telling you all this for purpose. Uh, hang in there with me. I'm here, man. I'm here. We get up in the morning. I remember it was a, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm trying to get ahead of myself. Uh, I remember it was a couple of days later. We got up and I heard Dan rumbling. So we got up and took off to work. You know, always hungry. I was tired. No food, blah, blah, blah. And um, Dan, I remember that day when he did his normal routine walking on the roof. Now, roofs weren't flat. When you would go to the roof below a uh, double window, you might would have anywhere from 12, 6 to 12 to 18 inches of, you know, a roofing tile. And then it's just, you know, we was above trees. Uh, it always bothered me. I hated getting out there, but he was so comfortable with it. I always thought it was funny, but I also thought it was creepy, too. Like, everything, the more this story progressed, every little thing kind of magnified itself. And plus, I had just seen the shadow of the top of a head. And and all this ensuing paranoia, what I thought was paranoia. And um, I remember I was doing my stuff, and all of a sudden, Dan pops through a window. And he was uh, like, hey, man, it's break time. I said, cool, I'll be there in a minute. And... uh he said, uh, hey, did I wake you up last night? I said, no, why? You feel all right? He said, oh, yeah, I'm fine. I just wondered if I woke you up. And um, I said, no, everything was good. And I said, why? He said, my friendlies woke me up. 
And I went, friendlies? He went, yeah. They were just being a little crazy. And I remember that morning, I, mean, I, I was like, no, nothing bothered me. And he kind of walked off. But I remember that morning, BJ did not show up in our room. And it, it went from BJ every morning would run in and, and give us loves and kisses to BJ slowly coming in later to this one morning, BJ didn't even walk in. And um, I remember that bothered me all day, but, you know, after break, I just kind of blew it off. Uh, thought maybe I'd talk about it later, but I knew something was up, especially after seeing that shadow thing. And, and see, the thing was, I think he, in hindsight, I think he, I think he was really more coherent. I think he knew maybe I had, uh, you know, uncorked the genie or something. But he's just like, no, they just, they got, they woke me up. So whatever. All right, Dan, whatever. Cool enough. We get home later. Um, we're playing Rummy that night. It's just me and him. I remember Missy really just couldn't stand to be around us too much time. Me and her was fighting all the time. I was, she was always, it got to where I was like, you know, if you don't like it here, you can just leave, which I'm just trying to do the best I can. Nothing's good enough for you. And me and her really started just not liking each other. And before that, she was wonderful. You're just crazy, you know? That's what I always thought. It's her fault, not mine, nothing. You know, too proud. And um, me and Dan's playing rummy that night. Just kind of, you know, by the time we'd got a pretty good friendship, not a lot in common, but we was, you know, partners, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I remember we was playing it, and uh, I said, hey, Dan, remember we talked about your friendlies? And he went, yeah. And I was like, what is a friendly? And, you know, he just put his cards down, and he's like, Friendlies are my spirit guides. And I'm like, spirit guides? Okay, so like with my background and being raised in a Baptist church, um, wasn't no rattlesnake slinging at my church. Uh, we were speaking in tongues, but we were King James Version. You know, the word is the truth. And uh, you know, pretty much pounded in my head. Something didn't sound right about friendlies. But I was, again, I was from a little tiny town. And um, he just said, yeah, they're kind of my spirit guides, and sometimes they get mischievous. And I was like, mischievous, like, what do they do? And he said, well, normally they just are kind of with me throughout the day, but sometimes they get bothered and they just wake up and start throwing stuff around the room and being annoying. And he said, that's why I was scared I woke you up. I said, what was they doing? He said, well, they was up and they started throwing books around. They started messing with BJ. And to me, it bothered me. Like, how do you even have these things around, much less? I couldn't even visualize what he's saying because all I saw was like the top of a shadow of the top of a head. And he's pretty comfortable knowing these things. Or I, I didn't ask him if he saw them. I didn't ask what they look like. He just said they're my spirit guides. And he called them friendlies because they're friendly to him. They watch over me. Um, by that time, when these things started, met, and you know, it really kind of got me angry too because I love that dog. And they're getting up messing with BJ. And I remember thinking, well, that's why BJ's tired if they're keeping him up all night. Like, I was naive. thought they was just keeping the dog awake. BJ started, like, after that day, I remember BJ started losing patches of hair. Um, whenever we was in the house, anytime I, I could make, like, a mouth noise, like a, or something at him, and he'd come running because he'd hear my, my, my trigger call. And I would do it, and he just wouldn't come. And I'd have to go call for him, or I'd have to go find him. He just was really didn't want much to do with anybody. And it, his fur started getting all splotchy, and he looked stressed. The, the, the animal looked stressed. Like, when he would come down the hall, I'd, come on, BJ. He would, like, run, and when he would get by certain doors, it's like he, he would run, like, with his rear end in front of his front leg. Like, I just got to get out of here. Like, you could tell he was spooked, almost like an abused dog. You know, you ever seen a dog, somebody swatting at, and they kind of move in that 
fashion. Right. I know Dan wouldn't abuse him because he, he loved him too much. So it was all starting to kind of come in, play together like that. Um, all these things were starting to stack up. And um, after he told me about the friendlies, I kind of disregarded it. I remember telling him, like, hey, it's all right, man, as long as it. As long as it's on your time and not my time, man, just don't have it around us. It's me and Missy swiping enough. Oh, no. <laughs> and um, I remember um, after that, you know, we had gotten to where we had plenty of room, plenty of space between. And I was in the big uh, living room, the converted living room garage, watching TV. And uh, Missy would walk outside. Now, when you walked in the back door, there was a little corridor with a washer and dryer. Uh, and, and then they kind of petitioned, then you'd walk into that big uh, living room area. And so she would walk through and go out to smoke a cigarette. And I was watching TV, and um, the doors were open because the weather was always pleasant. And she all of a sudden yelled, like, Dale, Dale, come here, come here. I was like, what? You know, thought she was bothering me. She was like, no, I want you to come here. I said, why? She said, it's Dan. And I said, are you spying on Dan? What are you doing? Cause I, she just had it out for him. She said, no, please, come here, come here. And I went outside, and she said, look at, look at Dan's room, because Dan's room was off to, to – if you walked straight out the door, you could see his window. And the curtains were closed. I said, you better not be out here spying on Dan. She said, no, you don't have to. You can just look. And from the gap in the blinds, you could see on, you know, one side was one side of the room and the other. Without even getting close, you could just see it. It was a really, really poor house, bad blinds. When you looked through and saw Dan, I looked through, and there was a – it was like that he had candles burning. It was a glow in his room, and he, you could see him with his head. It was like he was setting – his bed didn't have a headboard. It was just mattresses against a wall. And it looked like he was setting with his back to the wall, and his head was on it, and his eyes was rolled up in his head, and he was convulsing, like he was having a seizure or something. But I knew it wasn't a seizure. I knew what was going on with that glow. It, it was too much stuff was adding up. And he, and he was he was foaming. He had foam coming out of the side of his mouth. His eyes, when they wasn't shut, you could see nothing but white uh, where they was rolled up. And he was jerking like like an epileptic seizure. And I even said, you think we should go check on him? She said, no, don't you go nowhere close to him. I had never told her about the cedar box. I did tell her about the dagger, but, you know, no big deal. I didn't tell her much else because I didn't tell her about the friendlies. I was just keeping it because I was a I was uh, insecure and thought she would leave, you know, basically. After that, it was kind of hard to defend anything. And uh, he was just shaking and convulsing. And finally, he quit shaking, uh, and he just sat there. And I remember I barely saw his mouth open. I was like, get inside before he sees you. And um, she was looking at me like, you got to be crazy. Like, I knew her time there was about done. She was about over. And, uh, you know, I, I just tried talking her off the ledge. Uh, Dan came out a little bit later. He looked exhausted. He always looked like he was not really necessarily sedated as much as, like maybe the way he wouldn't look at you is because maybe he's always tripping like that or something. You know, that's what I saw. Like, what's going on? And I know he didn't like, it wasn't drugs. It was because of what was going on. Especially when you just tell somebody, hey, I got friendlies in the room. So immediately I thought, all right, this dude's on some bad mojo and he's doing stuff. It's not our room. It's not our business. Leave him alone. Anything happens, I'm right here. Uh, boy, she didn't like that. Um, tried to talk her down. Me and her took a walk. Um, and then we kind of blew it off to another day. This is where stuff really started getting kind of cranked up, man. Um, 
because it was kind of hard to defend. So I know she was getting paranoid about stuff. But after that, she started taking on more hours. And I think it was so we needed the money. But I also think she just didn't want to be there, regardless if I was there or not. Uh, during the day, she was never there with just Dan. It was all, you know, it was me and him together. So she was safe like that. But she started taking more hours. Dan started taking, and see, Dan would always take these walks, man. It was always strange. And he always had that that crystal around his neck. And uh, I always just thought it was whatever, cool jewelry. Well, it got to be where I had more time in the evenings to myself. And I remember, I didn't, we didn't have no money, so I was constantly cleaning the house and whatever. And I remember, like, this is funny. There was a couple uh, events that happened. I was, um, I remember one time I went into the bathroom to use the toilet. And I was, you know, sitting down on the toilet. And I was just kind of sitting there with my hand on my knee and my hand, my head resting in my hand. I was not really thinking about nothing. And, again, it sounded like a huge explosion in the back of the house. And it happened so much. I remember just because I was just sitting there caught up in a moment. And then, like, you heard this big explosion. And from the toilet paper that was hanging off of of the uh, toilet paper roll, I saw it physically shake. Like, boom, and it just kind of had a little wave. It was so loud and dramatic. I jumped up, yanked my pants up, not even thinking about nothing else, and ran outside. I knew somebody had hit the house or a wall had fell over. It was that same kind of explosion, but this time I was closer to it. You know, I was close. The bathroom was closer to that wall. I was like, was falling over. I ran outside. It was serene, peaceful, sunshine, birds chirping. And I was looking around like, what in the world's going on? And then I remember there was like an old barn style attic door on the back of the house. I was like, well, maybe that door's been slammed. Maybe that's it. And I ran around. And it was securely locked. And there was nothing out of place, man. But it was a huge boom. I started like, that's about the time I started questioning. Like, all right, there's stuff definitely happening. But what do you do, man? You, you don't go back home, whatever. Um, kind of blew it off. Uh, went back in. Got back to normal. Started clean. I always try to do something productive. And I remember later, so I had the whole evening to myself. And I was sitting in the, uh, I'd been cleaned up and, you know, had everything in order. I was watching television in that, in the converted room. And we're like, honestly, that might have been one of the first remote control TV. So I thought it was cool because you could like hit the mute button. And um, it sounded like I heard people talking in the back of the house, right about where that room would be at, where the landlord said, don't go. And it sounded like a low rumble of different voices talking. And so I hit mute, and I didn't hear nothing. All right, so I cut back on the TV, was watching just some no, some nothing show, and I heard the voices start talking again. I heard this rumbling, blah, blah, blah. It just sounded like, you know, like Subway or something. People were just mumbling. A little bit louder. All right, and I hit mute. I remember I turned my head and kind of looked back in the kitchen like, hey. Because I knew, I was already suspicious. So I was like, all right, there ain't nothing going on here. I would I would talk out loud to try to talk myself off the ledge. No, nobody's in here. It's just me. I hit the mute button again, start watching TV. And I heard the the talking all of a sudden was extremely loud. It sounded like there was a cocktail party in the back room and people was just different voices was talking. And I didn't hit mute. So I could try to make a you know, distinguishing point to see what I was hearing. And I mean, my nerves was going up. The hair on my neck was starting to stand up. And like 
it, it felt like probably a minute, but it had to just be a couple seconds. So it was like kind of loud talking. I was just sitting there like, this ain't really happening. And then all of a sudden I heard my name right behind my head. Like, like they was down the hallway and you could hear like where the walls would give them distance. And then all of a sudden, while I was sitting there, I just heard Dale real loud right behind my head. And when I heard Dale, all of them voices shut up. I got chills all over my arms right now. When those voices shut up, I remember I threw the remote in the air and I rolled out of the big old 1970s chair and like sprinted to the door, which was maybe six, seven feet away. Went outside, completely shook up, panicking. Um, I just, I sat outside. I sat outside for probably about an hour, hour and a half before she got off work. Um, I was really shaken up. I heard this voice as plain as day. I heard just my name right behind it. It's, it was so close. It sounded like someone had their lips right behind. Almost we could hear like, you know, the, the air coming off. It was creepy, man. Uh, she came home and uh, she was asking why I was, why you staying outside? Nothing. I was just pretty out here. BJ wasn't even there to play with. Dan was out walking around with him and whatnot. And uh, I, I tried to play it off, but she knew something was wrong. Um, she came in the house, you know, when she got there, of course I went in all tough out, like, yeah, nothing. I was just out and trying to keep it together. And, um, at, at that time that during the nights, she got to where she started, uh, like we'd be, I'd be almost asleep and she would be like, Dale, 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 like, what? Did you hear that? I'd listen for a second. Like, no, it's nothing. Just go back to sleep. Okay. You know, she was, I was, I thought it was just the weirdness of us, you know, but like it was her behavior started changing as well. And I remember when she came home that day and I was trying to be the leader of the house, whatever that is. And when you're that young and, um, I remember we came in, she smelled like every you know, bit of food she was around and she, uh, she's, you know, she's going to take a shower. She came out and said, would you come in here while I take a shower? And I was like, no, you can take a shower. I'll be out here if you need me. And she said, no, I don't want to. And I thought it's because she could see the, she knew something was up with me. I thought maybe I'd spooked her. And uh, I said, Missy, if you need me, I'm right here. And she said, no, I don't want to go in there by myself. And I was like, why? And she said, I don't know. I don't like showering there. It feels like something's watching me. And I was like, look, nothing's watching you. It's just me and you. Dan's not here. And I'm right here. You can leave the door open. Yell at me if you need me. And she's like, no, please. So I was like, all right. And so I went in and sat on the toilet while she was taking a shower. And I just sat there and talked to her. I just talking her off the ledge. And, and I thought it was not that weird because of what I had been experiencing. But I thought I had set her off. And then, like, later when we talked, she had told me, she said, I haven't liked that shower ever. And that's why I wanted you to get in here clean. I was like, well, it's nasty. A woman shouldn't be in there. It's so gross. She's like, no, it always feels weird. It always feels like somebody's watching me, and I feel like I want to shower off my clothes on. And I thought it was really awkward uh, because she just wasn't like that. And I said, listen, from here on out, I'll sit there and talk to you. Don't be scared. Everything will be all right. So it was kind of like we had a moment where we wouldn't fight in a day. And uh, then it got to where um, you know Dan got home later. And finally, stuff was starting to get down. And I asked him, I said, you know, man, you're always out walking. What do you do? Don't you ever get tired of walking? He's like, no, I just I just go to the beach. And he's like, at night, it's fun to go to the beach with the moon and stuff. And uh, just play around the water, but, you know, at night. And he, he wore jeans all the time at the beach. I thought it was strange. 
So kind of blew it off. And uh, it got to be where that night we was getting ready to fall asleep again. And again, she pokes me, Dale, 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 Dale. What, what? You hear that? And I was like, listening for a second. I was like, no, I didn't hear nothing. So, okay, no problem. Next day, regular day of work is planned. Um, the next morning, we get up for work. BJ come flying in the room, unlike what he's been doing, where I, I was like, BJ, I was all happy. I threw my arms up, thinking he would jump up on the bed, and I'd you know, scrub on him. And he shot straight under the bed. And Missy looked at me like, what's that? I jumped down and looked, and he was sitting as far as you could get back in the corner, just looking with his little head down between his paws. He was, it was like something was chasing him. He was scared to death. And I was like, come on, buddy, come on, buddy. And he just looked at me like, no sale. So finally, I was like, what's wrong? I was like, I don't know, man. He's freaked out. Something's going on. I stuck my hand back. He growled at me, which he never did. But, you know, again, here comes a big old hand grabbing at your neck. I pulled him out slowly, and I just picked him up and loved on him. Now, he was stressed out. He was still losing his hair, poor little fella. And and then he was sprinting in my room, which was strange. So I asked Dan that day. I was like, hey, man. He's like, yeah. I was like, your friendly's been acting up. BJ's acting awful weird, man. And he said, no, the, the friendly's really hadn't been messing with me. I don't know what they're doing. I'm not around. And then he kind of looked at me. Like, like the dude knew what was going on. Or, or maybe he just... I don't know if they talked to him or what. I just knew he had to know something was happening just because of our behavior and stuff. Things were getting a lot more formal, you know, not as much buddy-buddy stuff. Went on to work, tried to keep things normal, and um, kind of distant with him as far as even being friends at work. You know, I thought it was just us living together so much. And um, normal day, we came back home, we played rummy. We didn't hear nothing weird. No voices behind my head, none of that stuff. And that night... Went to to bed. I remember I was tired. I thought, honestly, I thought Missy was like, all right, you're just being crazy. You keep hearing stuff. She's insecure. And we're laying in bed. I remember I was starting to doze off. She starts poking me again, really, really frantic. Dale, 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 Dale. I was like, what? Listen. And I remember I was completely awake when she said, listen. It was like she said it crisp and clear. And I heard a huge crash. And immediately I looked over at it. It was dark in our room, <laughs> except for a little bit of the, uh, a little bit of the moonlight coming through the curtains. And uh, we had a little bedstand table. I cut it on, and I just looked at her. I didn't say a word, and I held my finger to my lips, like be quiet. Of course, I had a stick under the bed because when you're young, you don't ever have the weapons. You always got a stick by the bed or in your car. I grabbed it. I got up, walked to the door, clicked on the overhead light opened the door real slow and listened. Now, this is weird because normally I would run straight into, you know, car wreck or burning house or something. At least that's what I'd like to think I'd do. This time I was hesitant. I opened the door and listened, and I held that stick thinking something was going to stick his head around the corner and goose me. And they was going to get all I had, right? I remember seeing the light cast on my back. I remember seeing the silhouette of me on the wall across that dark hallway where you couldn't see nothing. I stepped to the edge of the door, still waiting. Then I stepped out in the hallway. I looked down to towards Dan's room because he was right across from that room we wasn't supposed to go in. And I didn't see nothing. Now, mind you, 
that hallway was so dark, you couldn't see nothing anyway. But I looked down, maybe, who knows, maybe Danny had his light on or whatever. Nothing. Don't see nothing. This is where it's strange, man. I turn my head the other way. It is complete pitch black. You can't see nothing. You, you couldn't see your hand. At the end of the hallway, there was a, probably about a four and a half. This is weird, Tony, and I don't really know how to quite describe it. I'll throw it out there and you can try to make do with it. But okay. it was so black, you couldn't, you couldn't see nothing. This thing, it was a four and a half foot tall. It looked, it, I take it was a demon. It was about four and a half foot tall. It was facing me directly. Like when I turned to look up the hallway, I had turned my body like some kind of, you know, Mexican standoff or something, some spaghetti Western and looked up and saw this four and a half tall thing that was, it was darker than black, but I could see it. And that didn't make any sense in my head. And that's like when I had emailed you, that's what it's so hard to describe or make you, it's hard to paint a picture of what it is, but it was, there was no light in that room. There was no light from anywhere. Any other night, if I would walk out to go to the bathroom and you look down the hall, you just don't see nothing. You just kind of walk with your hands, you know, touching the hallway that you hit the next door. And this thing was, it was darker than black, but it was, it was kind of a balmy, uh, pastel grayish, kind of like, and I hate to say this, but it was kind of like the color of that gunk that he had in that jar. But because it was, but how is that dark? How could I see that illuminate? You know, that's what kind of gets me. It was darker than black, but I could see it. All right. So this thing, it was facing me. It had its head completely turned, staring like if you look towards that way in the hallway, it was staring in the kitchen. And so it, dude, it was looking at me. It had a complete six pack of abs. It had tiny little pectoral muscles. It looked like it had thin skin. And the only reason I say thin, or if you have ever seen a salmon animal or something like that. Um. Okay, and that's where the call drops. So when we come back from the commercial break, you're going to hear what the whisper sounded like while we were doing the interview. Hey, Tony. I'm sorry, I, I had you on. Hey, Tony. Hey, uh, you, you were talking about, uh, you, you God, described Lord. the abs. What was that? No, I'm sorry, buddy. I didn't know I lost you. That's all right. That's all right. No, you, you, you had just lost me where like you were describing the abs. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry, pal. All right. So I saw this thing and he had a complete six pack of abs, four and a half foot tall. He had these bony muscular arms. He had a, a little vein coming off of his shoulder. I remember when I saw this thing, I knew I was not intimidated, but I remember I was seeing something and I remember to focus and try to soak up all because I couldn't believe this was happening. But oddly enough, I wasn't scared. Normally I would like shut the door and run, you know? Um, but he had his head turned looking towards the kitchen and his abs and his pecs. And then at the end of his arms, he was you no know, tiny little thing, but then his, he had, he had jointed fingers because he had really long fingers. He had a long thumb and I say they're jointed because they wasn't straight out. You could see kind of where they was kind of 
kind of like ours if you just let your hand go limp, but they had a little bit of a curl on the fingers, and the fingers were extremely long. And I looked up at his head. He he had his head completely turned. It looked like a skeletal-type head. He had a huge underbite, a huge underbite. Um, didn't see no visible teeth, but he had, like, this big, like, we used to call him Bentley. Uh, Bentley was, like, the, the butler on uh, the Jeffersons. He had that big underbite. My brother's got an underbite, so we always call my brother Bentley. And um, that's what I remember, but it wasn't just like that. It was huge. Like, the bottom row of his mouth was, like, almost like a pelican, like, just a huge row. And his head was kind of pulled back. Like, it wasn't a, a really big head. It was kind of a small, skeletal-looking head, and I saw the eye sockets. And then while – and I remember I was I was trying to grasp him in my head, like, look at everything you can. And then he turned his head, and this is where it's weird. He turned his head and completely – it's like he knew I was there then. But when he turned his head to look at me, the best way I can describe it is, like, he was tripping like if you take your hand and you wave it real fast in front of your face, you look like you got one big blurry hand. When he turned his head to look at me, it's like his head was looking at me and then the rest of it caught up with him in one quick, in one, like wasn't really fast. It was like, boom, he looks at me and then boom, his head catches up with him. And then he's just staring at me. Then I, that's when I can say like, I knew he had jointed fingers because I remember where his hands were kind of straight out. They, the fingers kind of pulled in. And that's when I could really see, like, whoa, this thing's got some big fingers. And he just kind of, like, I, I think he might have recognized I was in the hall at that point. Because when he looked at me and then his hands kind of moved, it was almost like I'd caught him off guard or something. I was completely relaxed. And that's what's weird. I was completely relaxed. I did not feel scared. I don't know if it was because of being a Christian, being covered by the blood. But I remember I was just focusing, looking at the thing. I knew if he wanted if he wanted to to get on with it, I would be in bad trouble, man. And as tiny as he was, he was completely jacked. Then I heard another crash in the kitchen, similar to the one I just heard to go out and investigate. And he turned his head back over. He looked that general direction, and then he took and started turning his shoulders and it's like he started moving, but it was almost like he was moving in slow motion. And see, like I've heard stuff about like portals and stuff. I don't know anything about that, but it's almost what I could think if there was such a thing. Because all of a sudden when he moved, it's like his shoulders turned. And then when his arms moved, it had that same trailing motion. Like his arm went up like he was going to start running. But then once his arm went up, then it caught up with it. And then I saw his legs move. He didn't have any genitalia either. He had a, he had a Ken, Barbie and Ken type body. And, and in hindsight, I, I only wonder if that's because they can't reproduce. But I remember seeing that too. I was trying to soak everything in, but I remember it was like there was nothing there. And he didn't have clothes on, man. It was all thin-skinned. But then he turned his shoulders. He started moving. And then it's like he just trailed right out of vision, right? passed into the kitchen I remember I felt sedated I remember I felt ridiculously calm I had the stick in my hand still I turned around I walked in the bedroom I shut the door I went and crawled in bed and she said what was it 
And I remember saying it was nothing. I kissed her on the forehead and cut the light off, and then I slept like a baby. And it doesn't make any sense because it was the it is it is the most dramatic, strange, freaky thing I've ever seen. And I was completely I felt sedated. I felt I the seeing the head on the other side of the stove was more tense than this. Seeing this was. I remember, like, when I laid down, I remember thinking, that didn't just happen. How could I see it? And I remember I kissed her on the forehead and told her it was nothing. And almost, I remember thinking a couple things, like, how was that? How was it illuminated? How could I see it? And I just remember going to sleep. And uh, got up the next day. After that, slept good. She slept all night. She never once woke me up again. Um, In my personal opinion, I think it's, I think either I had a, I'm covered by the blood. If demons, if you could say Christ's name and they are fearful of it, I can only imagine what they would see if, you know, if you have the spirit of Christ in you. And that's what I, that's what I would think. But then again, you just never know. For some reason I was sedated feeling and I was calm and this thing was moving like it was trailing itself. I didn't see no feet though. When it moved and his legs started moving, he had little muscular, he had knobby knees, muscular legs. And I didn't really see the feet. But I remember, like, what was weird was it almost had a body, the way people describe aliens, or I've heard people, I've never seen an alien, but it, other than its head, its body looked like what you would picture a little gray, minus, like, the, the the, the way that people perceive modern grays, they have big bulky eyes and a heart-shaped head. This thing had a huge underbite and a like a a withdrawn-looking forehead pulled back. And he had no eyes either. He had eye sockets, huge eye sockets. And then when he turned and looked, inside his eyes was depth and darkness. Like where this thing was kind of balmy, grayish, you know, pastel, weird, powdery. It It was all one color, but it was just like a mixture of gunk. But then when it turned to look, man, there was nothing in his eyes, and it was just dark and evil. And it just, it just like checked me out. Or you know, I even went, was it checking me out? Or was it was it looking at a wall of, of Christ? You know, because because it ran. There was another noise in the kitchen. It turned and ran, and it was almost like, you know, something like God blew me a kiss and said, "Go get some sleep." Um. So any, anyway, ended up uh, getting up the next day. The same thing, BJ did the same thing that day. He was still, he didn't run in and run under the bed. He just came in real slow and really didn't want nothing to do with nobody. It was really weird. Dan was up uh, surprisingly early that morning. And he was he was always kind of sleepy and wouldn't say nothing on the way to work. He was really just, uh, not a morning person. That morning he was talkative. Um, I didn't say nothing to him about what I had saw. I did ask him a break after he'd come up and got me, you know, coming through the windows. I remember... I was like, man, you always walk. What do you do? What do you, what do, you do when you walk? He said, well, you know, I like to go. I like to walk down and uh, I wash my crystal in the in the sea. And I was like, wow, what good does that do you? He said, I was like, is it dirty? And I was I really playing dumb. And he was just like, no, it's just like, I just like to wash it in the sea. And so, you know, we didn't have, you know, a smartphone. And you could just ask a question or, you know, computers at that time. You could just really go digging in. There was computers, but I didn't. We didn't have any. Um, I just remember like catching up little things here and there, and and in my mind, I know what I had seen was a friendly, as he would put it, 
But these things, if they were more than one and they were in his room throwing books and stuff, he was in the middle of a, of a bad scene. Because this thing was, in, was in completely intimidating. And it was very masculine. It was very, it was very rough. And um, it's just weird. So I, I soaked it all in. I didn't tell Missy. Um, it was about four or five days later. I was at work and, you know, one of the bosses, he really liked me and we'd cut up a lot. Since I was the grunt guy, I had to prepare everything and get it. I had to get everything sanded and caulked for the other guys to come and paint behind me. And he was just like really getting on my rear end that day. Like, you need to pick it up. I can hire somebody from the street quicker than you. Get on it. He was just kind of, you know, razzling me. And I was still kind of holding all this stuff in and not telling nobody. And I had just seen a demon. And I know I had seen a demon. And I I think what it was, it was a couple of days of me taking this and holding it in. Then it all was catching up like, all right, this Wiccan stuff isn't getting naked and hugging trees and dancing at the moon. It might start like that, but it don't end like that. And actually, I remember on the back of the book, uh, when when I looked and I told you that that dude had the weird uh, hood thing on yeah. about the author. And it said, like, uh, after, if you completely uh, after completely reading this book and learning it, you should be on to your next step, which would be the Satanic Bible. I never knew that. But according to this author, once you get all that down in the Necronomicon, it made more sense. I was naive in the middle of a, um, a firestorm of spiritual freakiness, man. You know, and this whole time I was kind of backslidden. I didn't like worship nothing but God, but you know, we wasn't really living like like good Christians, and we wouldn't attend in church, and we wouldn't, you know, we'd still pray before meals, still do every day. It was just, you know, it was more relaxed. Like, okay, I'll get to it. We like to call it backslidden. And um, so it was like a couple of days later, my boss was riding me and trying to get me to move on and pick it up. And that day I said, man, he's like, I can get somebody out of the paper to work quicker. And you just hit a nerve. And I said, you know what? Why don't you do that? And he said, what? I said, I'm over this, man. I was like, I'm in here working as hard as I can. He was just giving me a hard time. I was so tense. I couldn't take it. He was like, you want to fight about it? I was like, no, I don't want to fight. I just ain't going to work for you like this. And I remember I slung my um, sand and block and my rag down and left. He was so mad because me and him were good friends. I went home, um, told Missy I quit. She, I think she was pleased that I quit because she was really over it. She was over being there. She was over Dan. She was over the whole everything. And uh, I don't know. She knew more. There was probably a couple things I missed here and there through all this. Uh, but it was really just like noises here and there or like me and her being in the kitchen. You'd hear something down the hallway. We just looked at each other. It was like a, It was like a secret of... Something's going on, but we can't talk about it. And uh, I remember I went home. Um, I ended up, you know, we lived at the beach. I, she's like, well, what do you do? I was like, I'll get a job or something. I just can't work for them. I got a job as a busboy at an Italian restaurant. I've never worked in the food industry. And I was just a, you know, pig slot boy going, picking up plates. I worked there one day. It was totally not for me. Um, came home, had no money. I remember I went and bought a 22-ounce of beer. Didn't have any money for anything. I went and got some beer. I just wanted to sit down. I was about to explode. Had all this inside. And and then for me to sit down and crack a beer, which, you know, we drank at the time, but it wasn't like we just didn't have money for it. Missy knew something was up when I come in with a bag of beer. And um, I just sat down. She stayed out of my way. Dan knew something was up. It had been about, you know, five or six days. You can get jobs done there real easy if you do the food industry. 
slept on it. That next day I got up. Um, I didn't work. Uh, Dan was getting picked up by the guy that I quit from. Uh, they, they're the ones that served in the service together. Um, and Missy went to work. Uh, BJ was there with me. I remember Dan said, well, since you're here, BJ used to go to work with us and we'd leash him up. And he was a super cool dog. Well, that day he said, I'm going to leave BJ with you. It looked like you could use some company. I was like, thanks, man. Um, I walked out. I remember BJ, when I walked out, he stuck his head around the door from Dan's room, which the door was open, and he just looked like he was scared. And when he saw me, his ears went on the back of his head. I was like, hey, buddy. And he came in. It was weird because I think he was scared thinking he was alone. Um, I had ended up sitting there in that house, and thank God I had BJ with me because any noise or whatever I heard, BJ would hear him too. He would turn his head like he knew something was up. And and but you know I had a, a little security blanket and a dog and petted him. Um, then that evening when uh, Missy came home, she was still working like a bread bar at some steakhouse. She came in and uh, I said, "Look, man, we gotta talk." And She's like, I know, like, what are we going to do here? I was like, no, we really got to talk. I went and told her everything that I just told you. I told her everything. I told all the voices, told her those weird voices in the back. And uh, we were sitting in that big converted uh, garage. And after I got done with everything, she looked at me and she said, you know, Dale, she said, maybe this is God telling you to. And right when she said you to, we heard the doorknob we, uh, jingle. We thought it was Dan. The doorknob jiggled from the back door where you go through the laundry and dryer. Um, and we saw the handle turn. She said, you know, maybe this is God telling you to. And then we heard the door. We both shut up so he wouldn't hear us. We looked back. The door opened up on its own and pushed open. And when it pushed open, she said, leave. Maybe this is God telling you to jingle, jingle, leave. It was almost like if God couldn't get you a message any clear, I'm opening the door. I've showed you a demon. You need to get out of here. And that, it was, dude, I freaked out. I told her immediately, I said, get your stuff, get what you can pack. We're gone. And she said, what are we doing? She saw the urgency in my eyes. I said, make sure BJ's back in the room so we don't get out. We're out of here. We went up to a payphone, uh, called my dad. Um, it was in South Carolina. I live in Virginia. That's where I was raised. I called Pops, and um, he answered. And right when he answered, just hearing his voice, Turned me into a little kid. I, I bellowed like a baby. Dad, I see the demon. What? And I was just, it hit me. I was bellowing. I was pouring out of both eyes. And I was like, I see the demon, Dad. And he, without hesitation, he said, come home, boy. That was it. And uh, I just, then I was kind of just blubbering and rambling. He's like, just come home, boy. Get your stuff and come home. So we packed all our bags that we could. Um, I left Dan a quick, hastily written note. So we're going back to Virginia. I'll get in touch with you soon because we couldn't take everything we had. We drove back to Virginia. Um, Mom knew something was up, but she would never ask. Uh, me and my dad were always very close. I could tell him about anything. And um, after he, he gave me like a day or two to stew and relax. And um, then I told him the whole story. He was He didn't doubt it, but he knew I was playing rock and roll. His father was a musician, very successful. Or, or successful in, for the time being, like he played with some greats. And I think Dad knew there was some hubbub around music. Like, that's just, you know, stuff maybe you shouldn't be doing, but he liked the fact I played. And um, we went back. I ended up uh, taking some time off. 
I had called Dan a couple of days later um, and told him what was up. Told him that, uh, told him like, hey man, some stuff had happened. I, at that time, I had started to get bold since I had some security behind me. I was like, look man, I think you're into some bad stuff you shouldn't be dealing with. Um, I don't know what's going on, but those things ain't friendly. They're there to ruin your life and, and they're starting to affect me and Missy. I was all of a sudden a smart guy. I knew it all because I had somewhere to, you know, run to, I guess. And um, he was very calm, very cool. Like, yeah, man, do whatever you got to do. I said, look, I hate to leave because I was like his wheels to a store everywhere. He had nowhere to go. And um, I just told him I'd be down and get my stuff. But I also knew it was really still bothersome because of what I experienced. Once I cried to my dad, like the floodgates poured, and I knew this is really all of a sudden the, the, the leverage, the levity on the whole situation just hit like, boom, this thing is so real. I picked a day. Um, Missy's mom, she loved going down to uh, uh, the beach. She was, she, you know, she was like typical. Like, where we live in Virginia, you always get a Myrtle like, when you're young for some reason. Redneck Riviera. And um, her mom was going. I had, uh, we'd come back in my car. We had left Missy's car down there. And, um, so we got, we, I told her mom some of the stuff that happened. Like I said, I've only told seven people this story. Her mom, I ended up telling her once. She was a wonderful lady. And um, started telling her some of the deal. And she's like, well, Dale, you guys can ride down with me. I'm going to go to the beach and you can get the car and come back home. And they would do it every year. And um, that day, Missy was like, she was fired up by then. And I was like, look, I want you to go with your parents. She said, no, I want to go with you. I said, no, there was always a window in a spare room that was the lock was broken. And I was like, I'm just going to go crawl through there, get your keys, get the rest of our clothes and I'll get the car, head back to Virginia. And, um, she was really adamant. Like, I want to go with you. I think she just didn't really want to hang out with mom and them. She, you know, she was in the middle of this adventure too. And, um, I made her go with her mom. I crawled through the window and, you know, from at that time, I think it was probably on a seven or eight hour drive. You know, it was pretty, pretty long in the tooth. And, um, I get back, I was already like praying, getting a little tempered and like, weird. I didn't want to know it was back in their house. Um, I popped open that window. It was the junk room, had all the paint and supplies and stuff. Crawled through it. When I crawled through it, I went in and uh, I remember I heard something and I looked down the hall and I looked down the hall, there was a little BJ. He was in the house that day. And he stuck his head around the door just as scared as I was. And I went, buddy. And he just like, it's almost like you saw his emotion. That poor dog was in that house being tortured. He come running down the hallway. Um, I gave him lovings. I hated to leave him. I almost took him. And I, I knew that Dan needed something in his life. I almost took that dog, though. And um, I also wondered if I should. I never knew what happened to him after that. But um, I left him because it wasn't my dog. I grabbed his stuff and left. And um, basically took the car back home. They sent him got back a couple of days later because they went down for some R&R. Uh, you know, uh, called them. They called back to the house, and her dad was there, and so they knew I was safe. Um, when they got back, finally to Virginia, and I'll kind of put this in. There was a girl that Missy was friends with when they was kids. They used to play with Ouija boards and stuff. And Missy, you know, at that time we didn't have like cell phones and stuff. You would call from your landline, and when Missy called her, just to say hi, because it was an old friend. They used to dabble with this stuff. Um, she didn't, she, for all she knew, we were still living at the beach. And she said, oh, thank God, I'm glad you're safe. 
All right, so Missy came back and told me this whole story, but the way it went was she said, I had called Jennifer, who was this other friend, and Jennifer just immediately said, thank God you're safe, like she knew we was home. I said, how would she know we're home? And she said, I know it was weird. And she said, Missy, I've been having horrible dreams about you and Dale being in this really dark house. And so she told me the story. I said, get her to come up to the house. My parents were gone, and I was staying with them. So she brought Jennifer up that evening, and I said, tell me the whole story. And she said, well, I've just been having this dream of you guys being in this house, and you're with this guy. All right, now she started looking down and just started rubbing her forehead. She said, you're with this guy that's got, like, something wrong, and she was rubbing the side of her head. Dan had been in a bad motorcycle accident, had a big scar down the side of his head, and she was rubbing her head right where he had a scar where they stitched him back together. And uh, she said, I don't know what it is, but he's got beady eyes and there's something up with his head, uh, but he's not to be trusted, but I don't think he's a bad guy. And I was like, wait a minute, that's Dan. You're just starting to describe Dan. And um, basically she said she had these dreams of us being in this house with this other dude with these demons, and she called them straight up demons. And she said, there's a couple demons that run around the house and they're mischievous. And she said, there's this one demon that is really big and he flies and he just flies around the house. I said, but how does it, how does it fly around the house? She said, I don't know, it just kind of hovers and it hovers around the house. And like, to me, I was already, nothing was really weird at that time because of what I had just experienced, but it was, I just let her talk and she was hitting on all points. Like she, she was, I was like, it was dreams and my vision. She's like, no, she's like, it was just dreams. I go and you guys have really been on my heart and uh, I'm just glad you guys are back safe. At that point, I would accept anything because nothing was weird to me. From that point on, everything's normal. And um, so I asked her, I said, listen, this is well too weird. Uh, she said, I want to talk to that guy. I said, well, I don't know if we should bother him because we just got away from there. And she said, no, would you mind if I called him? Or if, if I could hook up a call with him. I said, I will call him if he agrees to talk to you. I don't have a problem, but I don't want to ambush the guy because right now he doesn't know what's going on. We just basically packed up and left. And she said, that's fine. So I called Dan that evening. Um, he sounded kind of bummed out that we wasn't there. Uh, he got it, but he was still bummed. And, and plus we just stood him up on, well, not him on rent because he paid for his room, but I know, you know, that means somebody else could be moving in. It's kind of rocked his world. And um, I said, listen, I got a friend who wants to talk to you. Well, after she got to talking to him, she was just like, hey, Dan, this is Jennifer. And she just wanted to kind of fill him out. But then she kind of wanted to poke at him a little bit. And she started like, Dan, you study Wiccan? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I do. And and I and I told her he goes to the ocean. She's like, do you go to the ocean to cleanse and, and re-strengthen your crystals? He's like, yeah, yeah, I sure do. He's like, you know about this? And what it was was when apparently he goes to the ocean and he'd take these walks, he would do his rituals in the sand. He would strengthen his crystal with salt water and moonlight. I didn't know all this. She kind of really enlightened me to it. And when you do it in the sand and the salt water with the moonlight, it was always full moons when he was out real late, when it would wash up and it would erase, that would kind of be part of the ritual. As far as my understanding goes of like when it washes off, that means that's done. So she could be putting anything in the same. And then, like, we had told Jennifer about the candles, and she had turned us on to this whole thing about how they use candles for romancing. Right, now, romancing doesn't necessarily mean romantic, but it can. 
but you can basically use candles with your spells. And you can use them to romance other people, whether it be sexual in nature, whether it be financial uh, blessings, you know, it all makes more sense. And I think that's why Mitzi had a charge off of it. I think that's why he was, I don't know if he wanted something to do with her or if he just wanted to be accepted because he was kind of standoffish. But um, I think that's what had to do with the candle. So while she was talking to him, she was revealing all this stuff. And he was like, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I didn't try to hurt nobody. You know, we're peaceful. And um, and I still never told him I went in his box or nothing like that. But um, then she started talking about the goddess Diana, which all this stuff I don't know about. I know now. But she was like, Dan, do you, uh, do you pray to Diana? And he just got real quiet. He got deathly quiet. Dan, are you there? And he wouldn't say that. And I said, hey, Dan, it's me. If you don't want to talk to her, you don't have to. And his voice was so low, a voice came out of his body. He went like, yeah, I'm here. And it went from real low to back to Dan. It was almost like something was, she triggered something by, I hate that word trigger, but it's like she did trigger something in him by using Diana. And that's what her desired effect was. She wanted to, she wanted to see if this was really real. And she was right. So after a little bit of talking, um, said a howdy dudes to him. I told him I'm sorry we had to leave the way we did, but we had to go, and I might have acted wrong, but I had to get out of the situation. Um, he appreciated the call, and um, basically, I called him once after that to try to find out where he was at. The landlord was actually there because he had moved and told me he thought he had moved somewhere towards North Carolina. Um, I was at the house still dealing with the aftershock of all this mess. Um, it was still, it was, I don't know what you'd call it, but it was almost like you had a car wreck and then a week later you realized he was in a car wreck. After I got to, you know, sleep in my old bedroom and get kind of normal, it really changed the way I, I was because I wanted to dive back in the word. I wanted to know what I saw. I wanted to know why I saw it. Um, I would have crying fits out of nowhere. Uh, me and Missy grew really far apart. And and it wasn't necessarily because of her or the experience as much as it was just me not wanting anyone to be around me because I couldn't figure what I had. Like if, if I experienced this, what did Dan always experience, you know, but I was kind of like, she only knew so much. And then I think once I told her everything, she was kind of resentful towards me for not keeping her posted. Maybe she had, you know, good reason to, um, I had spent, time trying to, you know, gradually come out of my shell. I told my dad more stuff as it went on. He he was so cool. He was never like, I want to know everything. He was just like, whenever you feel like you want to talk, I'm here. And it got to where I could discuss everything with him. And, um, you know, he had suggested, well, why don't you get some counseling? So I called around and tried to get some Christian counseling. One place was Presbyterian, and they wanted to charge me. I had no money, which I thought was strange. Like, why would you try to charge somebody? Um, so then he said, well, why don't you call Brother Billy and as our pastor and um, from childhood, and I, one of my most favorite guys on the earth. So I called him, but I didn't really want to talk to him because I was afraid of the way he would look at me, knowing that I had been living in a rock and roll send-in with demons and stuff, you know. And um, but again, one of the best guys in the world, I set up an appointment. He took me in immediately. I went and told him this entire story. Uh, he... When we got done talking about it, and I explained to him, I said, I know I didn't really act the way I should have, but what do you think about all this? 
he had already knew I was coming in for something to do with demons, so he had looked up prior uh, scriptures. One of the scriptures that he gave was speaking how demons are masculine. And basically the, the verse was talking about how women should not perform exorcisms because of the masculinity of demons. And when I read the masculine part, it just makes sense because this thing was so cut. It was so, it had muscle, dude. It was so ready. You know, it wasn't having milkshakes. This thing was in shape. And for something they probably don't eat, I don't know if they eat or not, but whatever. It's just, it was, it made sense. He gave other things about exercising demons and how to strengthen full armor of God. And and that was one thing, and I, I wrote this down before, uh, because that is the one that really stuck, and it's Ephesians 6, 11, and 12. And this really kind of sums up a lot of stuff. It says, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the forces of evil in the heavenly places. And Paul wrote that back in Ephesians. But think about way back then to say we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And what I saw looked like flesh and blood. But So if they are flesh and blood, that's not what we wrestle against. Basically put on the armor so that way you don't have to fool with them at all. But just the fact that it says against the rulers, the authorities, and the cosmic powers over this present darkness. And, you know, how true is that this much later and of everything that I experienced and saw? And that one really stuck out. Like, it still hit me, but it's, it's still like that book was written to take care of me here and now. And, uh, you know, then you just move on this much further. I remember I felt a lot better after talking. I asked uh, Brother Billy, I was like, you know, what do you think about all this? He said, you know, I have, out of all my years of service, I have never experienced anything like this. But I've heard missionaries in other countries talk about this stuff all the time. And he said, I think the reason I haven't seen it is because we're supposed to be in a godly country, especially what our foundations were. But he's like, when we have missionaries that go over and they practice voodoo and witch doctors, they see this stuff all the time. And he was really, he was shocked and bothered. And he, to this day, he's still, he's still there at a phone call away. Great guy. But it's just, to me, it's just mind boggling because, you know, I saw just this little bit of one section of my life and this stuff, if I saw it, man, it's still out there. It's still going on. Um, like I say, with the description of what I've seen, still makes me wonder about the way some people view aliens. I wonder if aliens could potentially be demonic in nature, but, you know, I hadn't really thought about it much until we decided to have this conversation. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's about all for that. And that's what's so funny. Like, I, it took me about two years to finally really shake this loose and get over it. Um, me and Missy ultimately, uh, we just went downhill from there. Uh, I really did dive in the word, um, really just, you know, straightened me up, changed me a whole lot. Um, really put my foot down. Wanting, I didn't want that lifestyle no more. Um, they won't, you know, that's what comes with it. I don't want to be around it. And then that's what's weird. Like that was almost 19 and change. The Bible says, seek peace and pursue it. And um, I've been at my current job for 17 years and like almost, so that, so almost like 20 years later, that's when I got this cabin 
out the woods. That's having the one I sent you pictures of. That's not where I live. That's just a blessing. And um, if you want to go into that, we can. Or if you want to, you well, know, what do you think about it? <laughs> you, uh, you came with a loaded chamber, man. You really did. This, this, uh, this story you just shared, I mean, holy cow. It's heavy, man. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you, you you ain't kidding. You ain't kidding. It's heavy. Uh, you know, I I don't even know where to begin. All right, so uh, one, I think we might need to ha- bring you back on another time to talk about the Bigfoot stuff, just because what you just sure. shared is I, I don't know how to transition off this topic. Um, so when you went into the hallway and you saw what you saw. And you described it as uh, a very deep black. And previously, you described the hallway as so black you could barely see your hand. Uh, so, was this yeah. something that was like something that was so deeply black it almost consumed the other darkness around it? You know what I mean? Like that. Like is that because I know you had a hard time describing. And I'm trying to picture in my mind yeah. what you saw because you also described a, a certain type of color. Uh, so yeah, with outside of the, the actual, uh, color, what you described, it seemed like it was almost like it was so deeply dark that it was darker than the dark around it. That's how you were able to see it. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. It was like, it had a darker, it had a darker essence. Like it was pitch black and this thing was like, shade of black I've never seen. Pitch black, man. Close your eyes in the you know, middle of the night. And it was darker than that, but it had a it had a color consistency. And see, it, there was no lights on. And it did not glow. I, you know, after 20 years ago, when I saw this, I was like, that's a demon. Case closed. 20 years later, with more people seeing things and sightings and and more descriptions that I've heard of other people and their experience, everything except for the head sounds like what other people describe as aliens. But an alien ain't hanging around with a dude who's doing or doing rituals. He wasn't doing his sacrifices I'm aware of, but he did do incense and, and little strange ceremonies. Uh, she's never been around that. But it was like it had a color, but what made it was darker than black because I could see it in the middle of pitch blackness. If that makes sense, it's hard to describe. No, it yeah, was darker than black, but it had a consistency, you know, it's absolutely, it's definitely hard to describe for you. It's hard for me to comprehend because every time you say that, I'm like, how I, I don't, I don't, I, I can't, yeah. I, I have the hardest time picturing it. And it's probably cause you're having the hardest time to even describing it. Uh, cause you saw, and, you it, saw did, it, and it didn't glow either. Okay. So I and wonder so where to get it. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, buddy, you go ahead. I'm I'm just trying to help you see it and I can't it's hard to get it out because how could it it did not glow, it did not illuminate. It was darker than black, but it had a shade, a, a it, you know, looked like a canvas with a bunch of Bob Ross grays and blues and, and that that yucky stuff. Was it connected to the weird jelly-looking stuff he had? You know, because stuff can manifest. If he's doing rituals and putting stuff, I don't know. I've never did rituals or nothing. But but 
clearly things can manifest. And I, I, that's, a, that's about the best way. I, it looked like what was in the jar, but I don't know how it was darker than dark, but it was. And I could clearly see everything except for its feet. But I really didn't look at his feet. I remember looking at his hands. I remember seeing the jointed fingers. I remember how long his fingers were and in his underbite. And he just looked like a hideous creature with a very tiny, masculine, man-like six-pack with little pecs and a, the little muscle veins that usually you get to pop out. And the, the skin looks thin. Like if you see a... Uh, you know, if you unfortunately see like a, a starving animal in a picture, like in Serengeti or somewhere, where you're starting to see the the, the skin is like a pulled over the bones and you barely see some muscle structure, it kind of had that. But I didn't see any bones. I saw a really stocky little thing that looked like it was there for business, man. Yeah, and you said it was looking into the kitchen and you heard noises in there. So I'm assuming there was something else in the kitchen, like itself. I mean. Dan said that he had friend Lee's, you know, so I imagine there was another one in the kitchen. Is that what you think? See, I wonder, I wonder if that was the thing she might've seen flying around in her dreams because whatever it was, it was just like those loud, where it sounded like the wall was falling in. It sounded just like, it sounded just like the thing I heard when Missy told me if I heard that. And, And you know what? I don't know what it was. I'm just staying like, I don't know why somebody who wasn't connected and was having dreams and, you know, she was really close to Missy at the time. And, uh, and then, you know, the weird thing is she said she saw something big and shadowy that just kind of floated around the house, whatever it was, it demanded this thing's attention because when it made that noise, this thing turned its head and then it started running towards, And, and you know, like later, when see that's the questions i have the thing like i I don't know how much i believe about like stardust ranch and all that or like when they but you know so many big wigs the stories are really good but when they talk about seeing like something furry coming out of a portal like a square in the sky and something furry just pushes its way through i wonder like without knowing anything i'm open to any suggestion of whatever the heck it was it just, I don't know what, because nothing's ever out of place and something always sounds like a really loud explosion. Boom! Just like the wall falls down or something. I mean, I'm open to anything. That's why I told you, your perception on anything is welcome, man, because I haven't, like, I put this story behind me. Um, it was through listening to your show that really, um, I don't know, it got me thinking again, and and then some of the descriptions, like I say, brought it up, like... Everything that I can remember to tell you, I've told you. I can't think of nothing really small except maybe a couple couple little noises. You know, the weird thing with those voices in that back room, something knew my name. Something, something said it. It wasn't like in my mind. It was spoken behind me. There was something there trying to get at me. And see, I always wonder, is that because it was, a, was it a demon or was it, was it protection? Something like, you know, like when, when the door opened by itself, we saw the door handle turn and the door just, it came, it wasn't even creepy, like a bad mood, like, Meh. it was like the door just turned and then just opened up and sunshine poured in. It was almost like something said, it's time to go. And uh, I, I don't think God could be much more uh, evident of what he wanted me to do, of like the doors open, idiot, come on. And uh, 
to, uh, you know, have left and then my life's gotten better, got away from it. It's just so much stuff I don't know, Tony. It's uh, it's strange and and it's a lot to take on. I know I threw a lot at you, but it's it's heavy. Um, yeah. That's the best of my memory I can remember, man. Well, Dale, I really appreciate you sharing this, and and you're right, it is absolutely heavy, and there's so many different things to think about and try to view it as. Uh, this is, your story is one of the very few times that I have a hard time uh, comprehending in the moment because there's just so much that you went through, and there's so many different aspects to it. You know, uh, why why would you? Like, like for instance, why would you be tempted to go into his room and mess with things in the first place? Was there uh, an alternate, an alternative force that was drawing you to it? And then on top of that, like when he questions you about going in his room, to me, like I, I was sitting here. Now I, I had my mic muted, but to me, I was thinking, and I even said it out loud. I was like. He knows. He knows you went in his room. Stop lying. Just tell him the truth because he knows. That's why he's asking you. Uh, it, was it just paranoia in the moment, I guess? Or do you think you re- that you really kind of pulled something over him and he didn't know? No, I think I think, I think think when I went in, when he showed me that dagger, I remember it already kind of caught me off guard. Like, hey, man, you want to check out my knife? And I was like, my knife's a dagger. And then he's like, yeah, come check it out. And he was proud of it. And I remember when I walked in, like, off to off my right shoulder was where that box was. And I remember I looked, and I was like, well, there's the forbidden box. I think it was just, I think it was just eating me up to know what's in it. And then when he had an, uh, an altar he was proud of and a dagger, I think it was more, I used protection as my excuse in my mind. I try to verify a lie and make it okay to lie, and, and it never is. But I did, and I think that's why I did. But at the same time... I believe things kind of changed after I opened that box. I can't tell if he knew like, Oh boy, you did it now because his demeanor kind of changed or I don't, I don't think he did. I don't think he believed me one bit, man. I think I was a horrible liar. Cause I'm not, I don't lie. I'm a very honest person. And I, but I was trying to be so convincing. I think he might've known he wasn't going to get the truth. So he just went with it, and he kind of was like, okay, all right. And, you know, he still left his wallet. I left still his money, and he still trusted me. But I remember I felt horrible, and um, I kind of, you know, I still do. I'm, it's, you know, but not everybody's perfect. You fail. Um, I don't know what the deal is, though. Well, man. I, don't, I don't think he set nothing in motion. I think he just knew I had kind of popped a genie bottle. Well, I think that his friendlies were in communication with him. I think that's how he knew. Uh, I think he knew a lot more than what he let on and what you maybe in the present knew because he was in communication with entities that were there when you were there. That's what I think. I think I, I don't think his friendlies were always with him. I think they were wherever that box was and whatever. I, I don't know all the details. I mean, I'm, I'm speaking on something that I really don't know much about, but I would say that that's probably a safe bet on how he knew you were because he knew he, there, there's no reason yeah. for him to question you on something like that, especially after you just did it unless he knew. And the only way he could possibly know 
now that we know that he has friendlies and he communicates with them and they physically show themselves to you and even to him, at least we know by throwing of books. Now, if they're willing to show themselves to you, I can almost guarantee he's seen them and has communicated with them. So I would say that that's, that's how he knew. Uh, and it, it just sounded like a bad situation all the way around, man. It just really did. It sounded like a bad situation all the way around. And, uh, I mean, I'm glad that you were able to get out of there and move on. I, I, I feel bad for the dog. Was the dog his? Yeah, it was his, man. You know, what's funny is the dog was awesome, but it really started falling apart. And, um, when I called back, actually I skipped out on rent, um, left immediately. My dad made, made me, my dad gave me odd jobs until I could earn the money back. And then he sent me back down to pay that guy back. And I called the landlord and he was just kind of, he was a beach bum. I was like, Hey man, I got your money. It was around 500 bucks. And he was like, really? I'm like, yeah, you know, uh, it's the way I'm raised. And I, you know, I, was, I hated it. I was, I was so young and dumb. I was like, you know, skip it. But you know, dad made me follow through on, on doing the right thing. But it was like, um, when I'd asked him about Dan, he had said that as far as he knew, he went to North Carolina. I said, how was BJ? He said, BJ, as far as I know, is still with him. And I fell in love with that dog so much that I had later, um, I had an, I got a, a Boston of my own named a Maxwell Edison after a Beatles song and um, had him for 11 years. It was awesome. You know, it was like, these are adorable. They're, I don't know, they're my favorite pups, but then it was like almost like, I never knew if the dog made it. I don't, you know, I don't think that he would abuse the dog at all, but those friendlies did. Right. And they got to be flesh and blood if they can abuse flesh and blood or at least of some, some type of manifestation. It's just, it's, it's sad. I, mean, I always just try to like think for the rest. That's why when I talked to Dan on the phone, I, you know, I did make it clear like, Hey man, if you are ever uncomfortable during this conversation, I will get her to leave you alone. You know, I still try to treat him with respect. And um, then when I heard his voice drop real low and then kind of come up, he was, it was really low. Like, yeah, I'm here. And it was, it was like right there. I remember, you know, we didn't have speaker phones. We just had the phone out. I was on another phone line listening and we all just like looked these like, Whoa, cause, cause she was poking stuff. And, you know, I, I don't know, man. Well, dogs are man, best friend. It's hard to tell what happened to him. Yeah. And I think that when we're dealing with the, uh, other side of reality, the unseen realm, I think that the entities that play in those realms, they can present themselves in different forms and different ways. I do think from what you said that he calls them friendlies because to him, they were probably very friendly. They probably did not show any side that you might've experienced or even that dog has experienced. But I think that's kind of how they kept, because here's the thing you're going to, how do I even describe this? All right. So you're a Christian. So let's, let's go with that, that angle. You know, Satan is the father of lies, right? He, he manipulated Adam and Eve in the garden. He can uh, be very persuasive. And that's why he was the one to go and tempt Jesus in the wilderness, right? After Jesus was baptized. And, and so if you, if you think about that, things that, are underneath his command have that those kind of attributes as well. And so I would think now I I don't know, but I would think that those uh, demons 
would be able to present themselves in a kind-hearted way to whoever they felt they wanted to. And Dan was obviously that person. That's, I, I can only assume that's why he called them friendlies. If he would have experienced anything that the dog experienced or even you experienced, it probably wouldn't be that friendly. Uh, but at the same time, he did see books flying around the room and things like that. So at what point do you draw the line and say, that's no longer friendly? That's the same thing with alien abductions. Like I look at uh, like people who say that, you know, aliens are, are here to help us and stuff. I don't understand that personally because these things are abducting people. The very, the very term abduction is a negative thing. I, I don't view kidnapping as a positive thing. And so, uh, you know, you, you know what I mean? So, uh, kind of yeah, correlating the two, uh, I, I, I think, I mean, he was, he was clearly manipulated. You saw him with his eyes rolled back. Who knows? Maybe he was possessed. Uh, so at, at certain points, uh, I, I, I throw my hands in the air and I say, I don't know, because when it comes to this kind of stuff, it's way out of my league. And, uh, I can only tell you what I can theorize on, but there, there is definitely stuff going on there, man. And I think you were wise to finally get out. I think you should have got out of there sooner. Uh, but I think getting out of there when you did was, was probably the best for you, your girlfriend, um, and all that. So, man, I tell you, that, that's some heavy stuff. And I, I can imagine, I, I think I understand why it took you 20 years to start talking about it. I mean, you told me earlier that I'm one of the first people you told outside of the people who were actually involved, right? Right. I have seven people, and you're the eighth, and um, anybody listening. And that's uh, that's that's the strange part because I don't know. It, I always knew there's a reason. I don't. My 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 prayer is if it is essential, if it if it happened to me, and I was, I, I chose my path. We didn't really live bad. We weren't bad people. We just played, you know, played the devil's music, and uh, you know. It's like somebody else is going through it. Somebody else is experiencing it. And I'm telling you, if he, you know what really kind of gets me creeped out if I think about it? If he called them friendlies, I always think of in the Bible, it talks about you know, who are you? Like, we're a legion. For me, we are many. I always wonder, like, how, how many people, how many friendlies does he have around him? I, like, after I opened the box, he started taking all those longer walks. He started really being away from the house. And then, like, the stuff at the house really started getting real. So he was going and doing whatever he did in the moonlight, and there was still baggage left behind messing with me. Like, like I don't know. It's It's sad for him because, you know, because everything looks fun for – seems fun for a while. And then, it, and then, it, and then it'll it'll take its turn on you. I just I don't know anything about where he's at. I I can only hope that somewhere he had rebounded. I do know that this is one more thing. Um, the boss, like he was best friends with our boss. Our bosses were brothers. They ran the paint crew. Their father. They ended up basically once they had got a successful business, then the whole family kind of moved over. It's from Tennessee. Their father is the one who got Dan into Wiccan. And I remember one time we was at the job site and Missy had came to bring me lunch or something, which was really nice. And he was there and he was like this at the time I'm 46. Now I was probably like 24, 25. And, um, he had like 
jet dyed black hair, dark uh, black sunglasses, ball cap. He just looked like kind of like the creepy guy that needed a shower. But it was weird because I remember when he pulled off, I was always like friend, like, hey, how you doing? And he would just look at me. And then I remember when he left, Missy later that day had said he just stared me down. And I was like, like he was like, like flirtatious or something. She said, no, he was just staring me like with hatred. And then later I had found out that he's the one that got Dan into the Wiccan religion. And see, it always made me wonder, was there something with those candles, you know, or something with him? Like there was a bigger reason that she was a part of it. And maybe it's like, you know, some of us feel like, God, I got her into this. But then I also feel like, well, you know, she was essential there for me. But like, for some reason, I can't figure out what her piece is, except I can't tell if she was trying to be romanced for whatever reason. But like that dude, and then I saw him again later after she told me he did have some type of, he just looked at her with like disgust. Like, I don't know, man, people are, people are weird anyway, but it was, there was definitely more uh, questions than I can answer. But yeah, yeah, to get away and to get away successfully and, it took me, like I say, it took a while to lick my wounds and get my feet under me, but I haven't forgot it. You know, if I told anybody this, they would have, I, I wouldn't blame you if you thought, like, this dude is nuts. But I like, you know, it's better to purge. I, I just like to say I throw it on the wall and see what sticks. And and I, that's how I live. I, I live with everything on my sleeve. I try to do, do right to people, and um, I don't carry a lot of weight. After that, see, like, I carried all that weight and didn't tell her. And I always wonder what I got out of there sooner. How much did this affect her? Cause I know it affected her and her regular life. Us not so positive things after that. And I just wonder like, you know, maybe if people were more, uh, more open about like, don't think you're freaking nuts, but you know, you know, they always say, get help, whatever. If you're depressed, well, nobody was depressed. There was just some spooky stuff going on. And, and we was right there just denying it. Like it wasn't happening, you know, it's, so many questions I can't answer. And that's where, you know, one of these days I'm just going to ask God for, uh, he'd be so kind to show me the, you know, the replay and like, tell me what happened. You know, by that time he probably won't even care or want to talk about it, but yeah, I don't know, man. It's, it's a lot to, lot to, lot to digest. Yeah, for sure, man. I, I actually, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing this because this is, uh, is, is a very detailed story that we don't get to hear a whole lot. And, it, like you said, I mean, I'm left with so many thoughts and just like, I need to marinate on what you just shared with us tonight. I'll probably be sending you emails, you know, because it's just it, that what you, what you experienced, there's just so much, there's so much to it, you know? And it's just, yeah. man, it's, it's deep. And I really appreciate you coming on and talking to us about it. Um, Dale, there's nothing else I could say right now other than thank you. Hey man, it's been a pleasure, and um, I really appreciate you giving me a chance to vent. It's nice to get this off the shoulders, and uh, you know, you're a complete gentleman. I really appreciate it, pal. Absolutely, man. I'll talk to you soon. Hi, bud.